Last time on Video Night. Burger Bogger, get in here. Uh, you're getting a new partner. I object to having a new partner. And now. Video Night. So I guess our new partnership out on the streets isn't working out. No, it's not. You're two by the book, and I am a loose cannon. Are there a lot of loose cannons out there? Was there a military issue with loose cannons? And people like, shit, duck, it's flying everywhere. Yeah. It's a naval term, actually. A loose cannon. You don't want a loose cannon on the ship. It'll just start sliding around. Speaking of crappy buddy cop movies, loose cannons. Gene Hackman and uh, Dan Aykroyd. Oh, boy. That's awful. I don't know. Is it? Was it awful? That's a a forgotten... I don't know. Actually, I'm lying. A forgotten buddy cop movie. It is. I haven't seen this since it originally came out. Maybe I was too young for it, but maybe it is terrible. But uh, this episode, we're going to continue our discussion on buddy cop films. But this time, we're taking the sci-fi horror element out of it. Yeah, just making it regular. Just your straight-up, normal, everyday kind of buddy cop movies. And 87 seems like the pinnacle of this genre. Uh, Of course, this is the year that Lethal Weapon came out, massive hit, and kept the buddy cop movie going for years on end. But there are two other buddy cop films that came out that year. It's the 30th anniversary of... Of Stakeout and Dragnet, all made about the same amount of money, but for some reason, I think Dragnet and Stakeout are fairly forgotten and, and, and have not been discovered by the next generation. Oh, definitely not. I mean, they rebooted Dragnet for a TV show since then once, and uh, it was like absolutely forget the movie. Yeah. Oh, and plus, it was dead serious. And here's the weird thing: is uh, yeah. Ethan Embry as a dead serious cop who looks like he just got out of high school. <laughs> it didn't work out too well. And then they replaced him with Desmond Harrington and said, "Ah, scrap it. Let's just get rid of it." So stakeout. Two undercover cops on the trail of an escaped killer, staking out the house of his unsuspecting girlfriend. I think she's gone on a diet. Everything was routine. Lucy. You guys are explaining <laughs> Until one of them stepped out of line. I was supposed to be watching the house, right? So I was watching the house from the inside. Out of the shadows. What a bozo. And into the picture. I don't believe this. You like spicy? I love spicy. I'm gonna kill him. You're nice. I'm not that nice. Look, Maria, there are things about me that you don't know. I don't know your name. <laughs> Uh, 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 Bill. Get out of the house. It's you I want. Get out of the house. Guess who this is? Cover me! Nothing going on here, just some dull old police work. Honey, I'm home! No funny stuff. No funny stuff. You used to be a hell of a cop, man. You're a cop? Uh, well, uh, it was uh, kind of, you know, uh, some, uh... You've been watching me? I'm not going down with you! I hope you believe in reincarnation! Yeah, I think you're right. I screwed up. Touchstone Pictures presents Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez in a John Batham movie. Did we uh, practice safe sex? Probably, Probably not. not. Stake out. Who says a little danger can't be a lot of fun? That one's a little bit different than your regular buddy cop movie. How so? You want to know how? 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 Because it smells like back bacon. It's all Canadian. <laughs> no, it, it, it was not Canadian. It was Seattle it's, or it's Se- fil- Vancouver. It's Massachusetts. set in Seattle, but it was filmed in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was that. It wasn't a main guy reassigned to another case with a new partner. Yeah. They were old buddies. 
and they've been partners for forever. And, and they kind of set that up with Running Scared from the year prior. You come in towards the end of their partnership when they're getting ready to just retire. You know, you have years of history with the characters. But you're right. 90% of buddy cop movies seem to be, oh, this is the new partner. Someone just got killed or he's a recluse and, and you know, or recluse. Oh, he was reckless. <laughs> and, and, and He's he- a reckless recluse. <laughs> <laughs> he's just knocking over his stuff in his own house. He hangs out by himself all the time doing parkour. <laughs> Oh, okay, so Dark Angel. We saw Dolph Lundgren being reassigned, or being, yeah, put back on the case with an FBI partner that, you know, they're water and oil. They don't mix. So, right. That is a, a pure staple. It's like the trope for buddy cop movies. Tango and Cash, you know? Boy, I used to love Tango and Cash. That is a gigantic oh, piece come of on. Crap. It's a I mean, fun it's piece massive. of crap. Entertaining. It's super entertaining fun. as hell, but it's terrible. It's a super dumb, fun piece of crap. It's awful. Yeah, a giant fun piece of crap, but it's really... I used to think it was great, though. And then you start... Eh, that's kind of stupid. Oh, that was really stupid. And then you got Brian James coming in all like, Oh, go ahead and cut your face with this... <laughs> or who's the guy with the big face? Robert Zadar? Zadar, yeah. Gosh, big face. Well, see, I don't really like Stakeout. I mean, I found some redeeming quality no? about it, but I don't really like it. Wow. It's kind. Of, it's too long. Is it too mainstream? It's too long, for you? and it's Richard Dreyfuss's character is, is almost irredeemable. Oh yeah, you know what's funny is I never caught that before. I watched it again last night, and I never really caught on that he's kind of a perv. Like he's kind of the sleazy. He's villain. a super creep. Yeah, right. He's an absolute. The Forrest Whitaker and I forget the other guy, the other partners, Dan Loria. Yeah, they are the day shift, and Emilio. And Dreyfus are the night shift, and they're staking out this lady's house. And this is just like a zero-stakes movie. There's no uh, terrorist sort of plot. It's just a bank robber who is also a murderer who breaks out of prison and comes to get his money. And she has his money, but she has no idea that she has the money. That's the simple plot. It's, it's kind of like now we're always used to these massive heists or some huge giant stakes. We, we This movie's long, but we don't really spend too much time with the characters understanding the stakes of the movie. Right. Their rapport is very dorky. So much dorky humor, dude. It's dad humor. I think part of it is nostalgia. Uh, it's one of the few things that I remember fondly of my father. Uh, Actually, I couldn't. I couldn't watch this for years after after the incident. We're not going to discuss it, but uh, it took me forever. Alien abduction, right? Uh sure. Think, uh, yeah, let's just say his his soul was swapped out for a psychotic freak show. It, it, it used to be an annual watch, so there's a lot of comfort nostalgia in it. Whereas, you know, Dragnet, it's my own personal like weird humor that I enjoy about Dragnet. Steakhouse like one of those comfort foods. It's like a Thanksgiving dinner kind of meal. Like, oh, we're done eating, let's watch this or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You know, one of those things you can watch pretty much. Just, well, not with everybody. I'm sure kids would be thrown like, off. No, my not. parents see see. I couldn't watch this type of movie in in my house. In fact later we'll talk about dragnet and how oh my god how could i even possibly watch that but, <laughs> but in my household it was like rated r movies or or hard pg-13s yeah no 
No, not at all. Here's the weird thing is, I actually do not connect in any way to Richard Dreyfus, And it's kind of strange now, if you look at his career, where he had come from, and what came after Stakeout, it's a weird period, and I, I read this in Bernie Brillstein's autobiography. He was Richard Dreyfus's agent, and he kind of rebuilt his career in the 80s when it was starting to fall apart. You look at the stuff he did before, that was all like heavy drama kind of stuff. Yeah. And then afterwards, it seemed to be like, kind of like weirdo fluff, like either he was another jerk, or, you know, kind of full of himself, or then later he rebuilt his career again with Mr. Holland's Opus, but there's a small chunk where he's just a chatty jackass. He, yeah. To me, he's not... Hey, that chuckle that he does? <laughs> oh. That's just... Mm, it's aggravating. <laughs> it, because what it is, is it's him as the character. I mean, I'm sure it's actually decent acting, but as the character, he's he's using to choose the chuckle because the character thinks that, oh my god, I'm so precious in my joke or my comment or my humor. Yeah, yeah, he thinks he's and the funniest the chuckle guy in the just seals that and you're, oh. I wonder if he was being subversive in being that character. Right, well, you know, he was kind of being an anti-hero. Uh, it seems like a lot of time these buddy cop movies, they, uh, well, I'm not going to say that. You know, anti-hero is just lying to make up for the fact that in the 80s, it was okay to be like the way his character is, uh, you know, smart-ass kind of pervert. You know, creep. It's it's male fantasy fulfillment in him going in there and watching her get naked, which, you know, this time I did, I just like, oh, hold on a second. That's not right at all. Yeah. We were talking to the screen saying, no, don't, wait, no, get out of there. Get, get out. Both my wife and I were watching this and we're like yelling at the TV, get out, stop, don't be, you creep. We're like, actually, like, he's a person. <laughs> Well, had you ever seen this movie before? I don't believe I have. I think I've seen the second one or parts of it. Yeah, and the That's second one—the Rosie O'Donnell one. The second one's a whole different monster, even though it's the same cast, same writer, and same director. I think the second one isn't a bad movie, but there's a lot of problems with. I think casting Rosie O'Donnell might have been the problem. She doesn't seem exactly right for the role. Isn't but, it always the problem? But it's, and yeah. I'm not—I'm not being an a-hole or anything. It's always she's not that kind of performer no she's not really an actress she's just kind of like um an entertainer like um right you know someone who can come up and, and she's like a party host yeah she brings the cool people to her house or you know and then that's where you get to have fun where she's being brought into this franchise I'll, quickly i'll say this, the second movie kind of acknowledges the fact that richard dreyf is a, is a smart ass kind of jackass oh i forget and madeline stowe leaves him do you remember she leaves him oh that's kind of funny wow yeah he gets his comeuppance and i haven't seen any of this stuff in so, so long and i saw this oh, probably okay. for the first time the other night uh the first one and, but you're right the stakes do seem kind of low when you look at like how other buddy cop movies are but i'll say this aiden quinn is an excellent villain oh sure aiden quinn is always good and, and everything he's great he's aiden quinn i mean we watched yeah. desperately seeking susan just as a gap and that's a cool movie almost i've never seen that one it's almost cool. Oh. It's also one of those way too long hanging around in a city movies. Oh, gotcha. But the ending kind of just kind of fizzles out. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that hanging out in the city thing is pretty cool. And Aiden Quinn, it's around the same time, so it's like two years before. And Aiden Quinn is also just cool. And here he's a good bad guy, except the stakes are low. He just wants a bag of money and he's a bad guy uh -huh. okay big deal well i think a lot of it has to do with more about the partnership the the crime sometimes is second to you know what's going on with the characters trying to build their relationship running scare does it way better than stakeout i don't know if it's just because i've gotten older and more responsible but i see now emilio estevez is the hero of the picture he does everything that a normal upstanding person <laughs> who doesn't do creepy stuff would do you know he's telling him to get the hell out of the house yeah he's he, you know pay attention to the mission 
stop horsing around getting us in trouble. Yeah, it's interesting. He's one that I was initially annoyed at with his jokes because the jokes are so dorky and corny. But he does actually confront Dreyfus's character. Hey, hey, I'm serious, man. It ends right here. Either you break it off or you get your ass reassigned because I'm not going down with you. I said thank you to the screen. I was, the movie is now acknowledging it. That makes it a little bit better. Yeah. It's not just acknowledging it, it's reprimanding, you know? So, yes, the movie itself, the filmmakers knew that he was being a super creepy dude. I can't... And I'm glad in the sequel she dumps him because that's a bad start, this first yeah. movie. Well, in the second one, um, also, they make Emilio, like, downplay his age. They take off his mustache, which I don't know how old Emilio was in this first movie, but he does seem like, you know, he's a guy in his 30s. But There's no way he could have been that old at the time. But No, he was in his probably like mid-twenties or something. But there's a thing. Now, for a while, I thought him being obsessed with the pranks between the day and the night crew was not necessary for his character. It seems like something more Richard Dreyfuss would do. Like, he would be the one wound up with the immature gags since he's the man-child. Yeah. But then you start thinking about sometimes your life is so structured and that, you know, being a grown-up, being a husband, being a responsible cop, that you sometimes obsess about, like, the littlest things. You can get caught up in you know, these stupid pranks and that he feels like it's necessary instead of telling them to stop that he's going to try to one-up them. yeah the pranks are what you're bringing up i think is like a break from the routine yeah and it's funny is he a would reprieve you know he would bring that back in another movie of his that he did three years later men at work have you seen that one yeah i like men at work men at work's much better film in, in, in a way i mean it's much lower budget but he also has the recurring gag between him and another crew where they're constantly pulling yeah like, you're stunts. right yeah. Okay, and that absolutely has nothing to do with the reprieve from a boring or routine lifestyle. No, just That's a, just a prankster character. Yeah. Oh, man, I could go on on about Emilio Estevez movies. How many movies has he had that didn't do well, <laughs> that should have done better, like Judgment Night, Free Jack, The War at Home? Just He made a lot of really like solid films that no one paid attention to. Yeah. Well, Madeline Stowe in this has the love interest as the woman that they're staking out to catch her ex-boyfriend. She's actually quite a cool character for the most part, except that she's easy and has terrible taste in men. Even <laughs> yeah, though li- she says I'm looking at those two she going, has no, good taste in men. No, no, I don't see you two together at all. <laughs> I, I see easy, and I'm not even saying like sleeping on the first date type of thing easy. I'm just saying like he doesn't really push the charm at all. And then she's like, uh, yes, please. I like you, boyfriend material no he's not (laughs) he's bad material so that was like the only character thing about her that i didn't quite like but yeah she was an interesting character yeah she's a strong character too i think she did some stuff in there that they could have played this differently you know a lot of times when they cast the girl they're kind of useless they're either killed off like in lethal weapon 2 or they're the ones that stand by helplessly and scream the whole time while everybody has to save them she gets in she gets into the fight at the end yeah not just that though she's got like moments where she's describing her family life and that stuff and it actually grounds her character much more than it grounds like anything in the movie grounds Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus is just a throbbing gristle if you will <laughs> that's the thing that Emilio yells at him about and he's like fair enough but there is one point in which Richard Dreyfus's character I never know his name he helps her because her best friend left her boyfriend or husband and that guy comes over to her house drunk looking for his wife and she's not there and that scene is the scene that you go oh Richard Dreyfuss' character in this one scene 
is redeemable. Yeah. That's why I said almost irredeemable. Because instead of getting a knockdown drag out fight with a guy, he diffuses the situation and it's actually a rather impressive scene. You know, the thing that really tops this movie, and I was kind of watching it again, I hadn't seen it in a few years, I, I forgot that most of the action sequences are pretty mundane, like 1980s stuff. But yeah. John Badham is a director who gets very little credit for how creative he can be with his action sequences and setting it in the lumberyard. God, I mean, I don't know how many days it must have taken to shoot that to get that right without people getting hurt. But that is a really elaborate, interesting action sequence. Yeah, the end of that where the guy gets uh, taken underwater between the two logs was actually kind of nerve-wracking. Yeah. I, I, the horror. You know, I, I live, uh, I live like, up in this country. You, you deserve it, bad guy. You're like, oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. Well, I mean, I live up here where you see logging go on all the time and you hear horror stories and you know you got three movies to make me terrified of trees sometimes a great notion which is a pretty dramatic telling of logging in oregon where at the end richard jekyll gets trapped by a log seems like a really simple job and he's fine until he realizes the tide is coming in and he's going to drown and paul newman does everything he can to save him but he can't lift that log off his body and that's horrifying second final destination yeah. two <laughs> the log shooting off the back of the trap yes i was gonna say that one and this, there. and it's such a simple death. But yeah, can you imagine? You're so close to being able to save yourself. Just come on, hold on with your arms. Come on, get your body, and then it just, you, you can't. It keeps rolling, and you slip down, and, and you drown. Because there's no place where there isn't uh, a log. And there, you can't move it. Yeah, you can't climb up. Yeah, I'd almost rather be, I'd almost rather be hit so, by a log coming out of the back of a semi. <laughs> yeah, well, drowning is painful, so... I, I assume I've never drowned. No, oh God, no. I hope not. Or I'm having a podcast with a ghost. No, I mean you can drown and survive. Well, Your true. Lungs can fill, but it, but uh, I've never had that experience. So thank God. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty Next. much it. I have to say with Stakeout, John Badham, like I said, did a lot of really solid action movies that have kind of been forgotten. I mean, of course, everybody knows War Games, uh, but I think Blue Thunder's kind of been forgotten. Nick of Time, probably his best movie that nobody yeah, saw. Yeah, Nick of Time is the movie that I like of his. Yeah. Out of all of his things nick of time it's actually really creative it's visually interesting and it's got great performances before johnny depp was a guy who was ruining movies yeah he would i'm not saying that he does literally ruin movies but people hate him yeah, just yeah. For well nick of time he's just a normal guy you know just a normal average joe yeah, under desperate you know measures but yeah john badham kind of fell apart after stakeout uh, bird on a wire made a lot of money but it's terrible uh, another stakeout, uh, huge flop, and then Nick of Time, huge flop, and then just kind of disappeared. Well, he did Point of No Return before that, the remake oh, of La Femme Nikita. Yeah, yeah. And that actually bothers me because it's nothing visually interesting going on in that film. No. And it should because that's a visually interesting original film with Femme Nikita. Yeah. So, as a remake, it's uh, bothersome. All right, on to our second movie. Woo! Dragnet. Dragnet. The story you are about to see is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. For instance, Dan Aykroyd is Sergeant Joe Friday. Tom Hanks is Detective Pep Strebeck. Your new partner. There's a dress code for detectives and robbery homicide. Section 3-605.10.20.22.24.70.80. My name's Friday. Take a lot of kidding about that? Almost never. You know the kinds of things that can fall into an industrial sausage press? Not excluding rodent hairs, bug excrement. I hate you, Strebeck. You got a lot of repressed feelings, don't you, Friday? Must be what keeps your hair up. 
Police officers, ma'am. Why couldn't you have got here before that big, bad, stupid-looking piece of sewage breath stole my white wedding dress? Just the facts, ma'am. We need to ask you a few questions. Their job, to enforce the laws. This is shaping up to be a little more than just a series of simple robberies. And preserve the safety of decent citizens. Stay back! I found the snake! Sure, this city isn't perfect. We need a smut-free life for all of our citizens. Cleaner streets, better schools, a good hockey team. Dragnet. A new generation of courage. Thank God it's Friday! Just the facts, man. The first movie I ever bought on VHS. Watched it in wow. watched it like eight a thousand times. I don't know how many times I watched this movie. I had it memorized. I just well, and then I forgot about Dragnet, it. Dragnet. It's weird. Yeah, that's what happened with me. I, I didn't buy it, but I had. I think it was like at the back of a magazine, and it was the poster. And I cut that out, and I had that on my wall. I had the soundtrack, or at least some of the soundtrack. I don't even remember the soundtrack, except I do remember the Dragnet theme song and the end rap. Yeah, City of Crab. Is Tom Hanks singing that part too? No. Huh. But Tom Hanks does rap, and Dan Aykroyd does rap, and Tom Hanks has recently been on the Graham Norton show talking about it. But you are a recording artist. Oh dear. Uh, well, uh, let's say I've, I've been forced into the studio at gunpoint on occasion, yes. Yes. Yeah. No, you went all kind of hip-hop rappy on us, didn't you? We, yes, I have a, I have a, I have an, a rap hit that, that <laughs> haunts me for the rest of my days, yes, yes. Because this was you and... and uh, Danny Aykroyd. Danny Aykroyd. We were promoting Dragnet, a motion picture in 1987, and we sang. Of course, everybody can sing along. Look out, Strebeck, you're just in time. We have stumbled into a major crime. She's got the girl all frightened. Now, that's not nice. I think she is the subject of a sacrifice. Buddy, we're putting this party on ice. But first, you know, we really ought to read them their rights. Read them their rights. Read them their rights. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was what we did. We did, a, uh, we did a video. It was choreographed by Paula Abdul, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Choreographed by Paula Abdul. And it, uh, it was a mercy. It was the first thing I'd ever seen on YouTube because my kids were asking about it one day. And I said, Dad, we got to see this stupid thing. Where is it? I said, oh, it's on a VHS tape somewhere buried in the basement. And they pulled out YouTube very quick, and there it was. So my kids now can torture me with this thing. <laughs> did he write his own? I want to know, did he write his own lyrics? Because he's actually got some solid skills. No, he doesn't. No. Yes, he does. Nope. He has 1980s nope. popular no, rap skills. No, it's not popular skills. rap not now. skills. It's no, no, dad no. rap. It's white man dad rap skills that's not popular skills but like this has happened so many times remember crash course had bd wong doing rap oh was- god crash course yeah right this is when studios were like this is the hot new thing kids are into let's add it to this and usually it was really really and awkward it was typically very much white dad rap it's awful like bc boys are the only white guys at the time really doing it right and then everybody's like will smith is pleasant <laughs> Let's give him a Grammy. So so these execs do this rap style that's just awful. Walking down the street, Bapa do the beat. That sort of thing. That's not you don't don't rap like that, ever. I just love the song. I used to have, like you said, you had the, the album. I remember picking up the album on a regular basis from our library. This is when I had it on. Oh Monday. gosh! And I remember, I never, I think I listened to the whole thing once, and I would always go back to that track. That that was a top forty <laughs> track. Can you believe that? No, I can't believe that. I refuse to believe that. It's weird though. Like during this time period, like these like novelty movie songs, like Spies Like Us and the. Don't Bat you Dance, talk bad about Spies Like Us? Out of Spies Like Us is a great song, but by. 
None other than... But it's still no, kind of it's, a it's, novelty. It's not a good song, but it's really a fun song. I don't know how Paul McCartney could write music like that and also come from the Beatles. It's just bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but Dragnet. All right, the story is true. Dragnet is a remake of the TV show Dragnet. I don't know if anybody knows what the TV show is nowadays. Probably some of our listeners do. Some of them don't. It's an old black and white then color television show about Jack Webb. He's the he's the detective Friday. Going around, getting the facts and solving cases. It's a very rudimentary but super popular cop show. And the dude couldn't act for anything. The guy was so straightforward, like no nuance whatsoever. Just does the facts, man. I'm gonna take a NyQuil. I'll be back in a second. <laughs> So, Dan Aykroyd had done a parody of Jack Webb's style in SNL, and I think that's the inception of it. Like, why don't we just do Dragnet? Well, how are we going to do it? And up until this time, there were no movie remakes of TV shows that I've heard of, and I think this is the very beginning of... Right, I think it's 87, this and Untouchables were the first two, and they did Okay, well, so, so Untouchables was a TV show, and that was a movie that was treated very seriously. It was There was not a joke at all in The Untouchables. But in this movie, all it is is a comedy. And a crazy ballistic action movie at the end. And I think that Dragnet is the very first of the types of movies that we would later have. We would end up having like the Brady Bunch movie, which was like a parody of the Brady Bunch. So this was a parody of Dragnet while still being Dragnet. And, and most remakes are awful, and it seems like you can only really remake stuff you love, even if it's tongue-in-cheek. I feel like a lot of remakes are just done because it's a known property. But you can tell, you know, Brian De Palma loved Untouchables, and Dan Aykroyd loved... Dragnet, even with its like weird idiosyncratic, like straightforward, there there was humor and love to be found in because he actually is a legitimate good detective. But his his um his oh well wild in this is what's funny. Sorry, in this movie he's not a good. Nobody's a good detective in this movie. Oh, at least nobody's a good cop in this movie. Procedure. He's constantly doing the stickler for the procedure thing, but they're constantly being really bad at what they're doing. Like, you know, screwing up and whatever. Yeah. Busting a place and then wrecking it with a tank in its milk factory. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm gonna to, you're right. I'm going to take it back. There's a scene that it's funny, but it doesn't make any sense to me in the fact that he's supposed to be so straight-laced by the book. You know when they get Amal Muzz? Yeah. Which, for me, there's a, there's, a, there's a chunk of this movie that makes me laugh so hard. First, it's the crazy vulgar lady. Yes. <laughs> at, at the hotel. <laughs> Her insults are like, they're PG insults but they're still kind of like messed oh, up. Oh, no. <laughs> they're they're pretty hard. She calls them... You slimy little jizz bucket. At one point. <laughs> Does he? Yes. <laughs> this is a PG-13 movie, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get into the rating in a minute. But I, okay. was, getting to, but I then, was getting to something. 21 Jump Street and 22 okay. Jump Street seem to be kin to this movie. Yeah, definitely. And I didn't realize that until watching this again last night. The newer 21 Jump Street movies are very distant relatives to this type of uh, uh, movie where they go they have a lot of jokes all the time and they have crazy sequences eventually that finish off the film this is like the grandfather of the modern silly yeah TV and as, as much as i like those two movies you know i'm a huge fan of the series 21 jump street and you're just like oh no that's not it was actually kind of an important show trying to teach you some lessons you know but they're still funny entertaining movies you wouldn't expect me because I'm kind of a weird snob. 
but I do like the 21 Jump Street movies. And I've never seen Dragnet TV show. I've seen like like the one with Ed O'Neill, but for the most part, no, I haven't. It was on Syndicate, so in like the mid 80s, it was it had a, a popularity come it. back, like with Get Smart and so on. Oh. Well, I never watched it. I can't remember. I lost my train of thought. With the lady cussing, um, and then they run into Amel Muzz. Muzz, Amel, Amel Muzz. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a sequence when they take him into the jail, and they're interrogating him, and they're going to slam his balls in the drawer. And I would just think that Dan Aykroyd's... I don't understand how that I, works. Well, you have to have huge dangly nuggets. I mean, they just have to be hang low and, you know, just real... And there is no logistical way that that scene would work. Like, that that would work at all. They just open the drawer and slam the drawer. And apparently, a fully clothed man sitting on a chair that is lower than the drawer you would... gets his nuts Yeah. Wrapped. I right. don't get the it. pants keep it in. Uh, well, I mean, you're going to have to lift the elephant trunk first. And then you have to get it at least down to the skivvies. And then slam, slam, slam. But no, you're right. It doesn't work. But... Yeah, see, it's, but... it doesn't work at all. And I think that they were just like, uh, the audience will go with it. Just trust okay. us. But it also doesn't really make sense for Dan Aykroyd's character. <laughs> character because this at this point he hasn't hit his stressed out point you know like like halfway through the movie you can see he's starting to lose his patience with being by the book yeah but this is before all of that and i just don't believe that he would allow tom hanks's character to be slamming his nuts in a drawer yeah it's there actually just to serve the comedy of yeah. the film mankiewicz um uh, i think he only did two movies this and delirious mostly known as a writer yeah he didn't do many no I, I don't really think he's a director i feel like dan Aykroyd actually directed this and then mankiewicz was just a name that could help structure it for him huh maybe maybe so think about it because who would give him 40 million dollars for nothing but trouble if he hadn't already proven himself with dragnet and just like you know like they did that with tombstone kurt russell actually directed tombstone but yeah pen right, uh, right. cosmatos did all the structure we talked about this before yeah um, some directors are more technical, and then someone else, they just, they kind of uh, take the credit. Yeah. But that's what I felt. Well, probably. And, it's probably uh, his vision. Yeah, because if you look at Mankiewicz's scripts, too, you're like, I don't even see where this came from. Like, where does he, you know, he's right, you know, like uh, Superman and stuff like that. How in the world does he end up with Dragnet? <laughs> well, let's talk about the story real quick. The story is there's a group called Pagan, P A G A N. People against goodness and normalcy. <laughs> Which I always thought was really fun. Like, they're going to own that they're bad guys. It's like calling bad guys bad guys, you know? <laughs> we are bad guys. What's your name of your organization? Bad guys. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's I guess like hiring that. would be easy. There's no, like, oh, God, I work for a villain. I didn't know this. I quit. <laughs> but they're a group of uh, so-called Satanists. But the, the big boss, I'm spoiling it now, guys. The big boss is Christopher Plummer, who also, his day job is as an outspoken, conservative-leaning pastor feller of a megachurch. And in Los Angeles, he's a big deal. I watched this last night, and I still don't really understand their endgame. They have to sacrifice the virgin Connie Swale to a big snake, and then what? Yeah. Why are they... I mean, is that just part of their rally? I mean, is that just how they get them all revved up? I, I would think that, uh... There's an army. I don't know. There's an I... army of pagans, and they keep stealing police cars and fire trucks. But what's their end game? Well, doesn't he say that basically the way to get people to come to church is by building up the evil? You know, so he's got both ends. He's controlling the evil, so he's got all that... But there's also a, a gas that they have. That they're gonna hit the city. And he with. wants to kill off Dabney Coleman's character, who talks like this the whole movie. It's very fascinating. I don't know how he held that voice. Yeah, Dabney Coleman's funny in this. He's got like nothing of a role in this. Yeah. But he's funny. He's uh he's like a Hugh Hefner type. 
Which is getting us to the rating. This movie is so full of TNA. Without actually showing the TNA. Oh no, what it shows. Remember, there's a there's a strip club scene. There's a strip oh, club well, scene. Oh well, she has a little things gets, on. But she's in a thong, and the first shot of that strip club scene is her butt with a pole between it. I would actually call them little Shriner hats. Little itty bitty tiny Shriner hats. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this starts with like Tom Hanks's character is casually having sex with everybody. It seems. He rotates people, and it's only, only like peripherally, like you get context clues, like oh darn, there's an empty condom right here. Like that's part of a non-joke joke. I suppose in the '80s, everybody related to that. The yuppies did, I suppose. But then the lady who cusses her face off—it's just well, foul language anyway. And then the uh, magazine mogul has all these beebs around, and they're all super scantily clad. And this was the Southern California climate of the day. 1987. It's all pinup babes everywhere, and beach bunnies. Showtime and Cinemax. Yeah, littered the, with. They're inter. They're yeah. interchangeable in Southern California. I was wondering, like, when I was watching this, like, how is this PG-13? Like now, it would be rated R. Oh, definitely now. PG-13 was, you know, hell, PG was basically R-rated. I mean, I watched some of these movies back then. You're like, how? There, seriously, there's like nudity and gore. People getting cut out. How is this not rated R? <laughs> oh, the 80s. Yeah, so my family, like I said, they're pretty conservative. And they knew I'd seen this. They knew I watched this. And I think it's just by brand alone, by the pedigree. Dragnet. My dad liked Dragnet, the TV show. So I think that's how I got away with watching it. But I can tell you, I wasn't like uh, the hormonal rubbery kid running around going like, Oh, boobs, 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 boobs. I was. That never affected me. You were? Oh, gosh, yeah. To this day, what are you talking (laughs) about? I'm obsessed. Hey, I like boobs. No, my brain. I like a nice looking lady. I can find myself in the middle of a serious conversation, just like my brain wandering off. I think that is a cultural learned thing. Because an American culture says, treat it as if it's taboo and that you definitely have to and want to touch it. Yeah. But in my early formative years, I lived in Europe and we were around statues all the time and naked soap commercials and whatever. And it wasn't necessarily sexualized. So I didn't have that like ingrained in me from an early age. It was only until I was like 10 or 11 coming back to America when TV and stuff was like, ooh, boobs. <laughs> boob, boob, boobs. So. Yeah, I grew up in Indiana with repressed sexuality that everything like that was, I mean, just, you know, even artistic was, oh, repressed. I don't, no, look away. It's bad. It's sin. Which makes me enjoy this movie. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time is that it plays with that kind of like hypocrisy. You know, that religion can present itself in a certain way, but be full of crap. And this is right around the time. I don't think it had happened yet is when all of those big like sexual uh, scandals were going on. Tammy Faye Baker and, and Jim Baker. Yeah. And now it's kind of normal. It seems like every week we find out that somebody is like, oh yeah, of course, that makes sense. You know, oh, he's touching somebody's foot in the bathroom. You know, oh, he's caught in this club or whatever. You know, just now it seems so normal. But back then it was... Was like shocking and, and nobody really was taken in oh it's still treated now as if oh guffaw how dare you but then the second the scandal hits the guy either resigns or is moved to a different position and then is like forgotten they're just waiting for another scam it's still treated but it's it's like uh, of the week now yeah well i think we've become numb to it because how could we possibly be in the place that we are right now if we didn't pay attention uh-huh. to scandals <laughs> 
we're right. down to it now. Yeah. yeah. But it's funny. You you watch this, and uh, Christopher Plummer, I think, is actually quite entertaining. I had never seen him before, and in fact, for years after this, I hadn't seen him in anything because am I wrong in thinking that he's a Canadian actor and he didn't typically make American films? Oh, Christopher Plummer is like a legend. It's Amanda Plummer's dad, not just what? Yes, I didn't know that. Not just Amanda oh, wait, Plummer's they do dad. Look like- Yes, he's Canadian, no, I think but he's also in Sound of Music. Well, yeah, I, th- I knew that later, and that's kind of like his big thing. But that was like, yes, that was his big, big, huge hit was Sound of Music. But then you look at his, between Sound of Music and Dragnet, it really not a lot of stuff. Oh, he did. Uh, a, no, well he did known. a lot of TV work, and he did a lot of like men, yeah, men in suits, business leaders, yeah, or yeah. political guys. But I'm I'm saying like Sound of Music should have broke him out to at least the B list. You know, American films, at least, like, as a support. But it seemed like he didn't. He went back to doing, like, smaller films. But, of course, he was a big stage actor. Uh, and, is that, um, that might actually be it, then. That he yeah, doesn't... he's known for doing, like, a lot of Shakespeare stuff and, and stuff, like you know, like things like that. But he did an excellent movie, which I discovered much later, with Elliot Gould called Silent Partner. Huh. Around 7980. Probably last gasp of Elliot Gould as a, a quality lead. Right. Then Dragnet, you know, kind of brings him back to the forefront. But I thought, you know, that would make him a star. No, and I saw him on some crappy Canadian-made uh, action show that played on USA with Simon McC- Corkendale, aka Manimal, it was like a counter actor, counter espionage, or some sort of show, and and I was like, oh, that dude was just like this big movie. What the hell is he doing in this low budget TV show? Well, he did get to go on and do Dracula 2000 and play Van Helsing. Ooh, yeah. No, I mean the last 15, 20 years have been better for him. I think he he constantly shows up as either like you know the wise father or kind of like a conniving little villain running the show or something like that. But he, he's a better support than he is a lead. Yeah, but like I said, he's a legend. He's always he's been in the business since before you and I were born. So yeah, but he, and he's stuck and around. Of course, like you said, Dabney was Dabney was fantastic. But I also realized this is basically the end of Tom Hanks being like wild and crazy. Yep. Like you know he had like four or five. I'm gonna say where he was like manic tom hanks is just straight up fun in this his performance is really fun and character inconsistencies aside remember he's like the silly fun guy and then later as friday is driving the car supposed to be like a high speed pursuit and he's driving recklessly and how he starts singing christmas songs (laughs) friday wasn't he wasn't really driving that crazy it wasn't the most spectacular car chase type scene ever. And Tom Hanks's character is overreacting for his character. I have to throw a grain of salt towards him. They just did right. that again to serve the And I also the felt film. the little TV watch that he has, I guarantee you that was, uh, hey, RCA has this new little TV they're trying to promote. No, it was Seiko. Seiko. It was Seiko. I was like, that seemed like such a yeah. pointless. Plus, if I tried to watch TV on my watch while driving around, I'd be throwing up in five minutes. No way, no how. How can... And he was trying to listen to Literally, it. they should have just turned and on the radio. Like, I'm trying to watch my TV. I'm like, how can you hear that? It's so far away. Right? So here's the script. Strebeck turns on the radio and they listen to the lady's press conference where she says plot point crap. Here's what they did. He looks down at his wrist and Friday says, Strebeck, why are you always looking at your watch? I'm watching my TV. You don't like my music. You don't want to talk. So I'm watching my TV. Strebeck says, and that scene goes on. Same exact information comes out of the watch as the radio. So they nix it for the watch because they can promote a new product that never got off the ground. Yeah. Who is the female in this again? The Virgin Connie Swale? She's in um, she, you know, she's Baywatch. In what the hell's her name? Um, Alexandra Paul. I, I, at first I thought she was like a talentless actress. Like for the longest time I watched it and I was like, oh, she has an 
She has no skill whatsoever. She's just a pretty face. And then I, I watched Christine, and I was like, oh, oh, I get it. She just has that 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 skill to play like the nice, sweet girl next door. You know, she's not meant to have smart ass comments. She's not supposed to be an action kind of girl. You know, when it gets tough later, she's just that sweet girl next door, the innocent. Yeah, and she plays helpless, but not pathetic. Helpless, but not hopeless. Yeah. So, well, this flick, Dragnet, of the two movies, is my favorite. Yeah, it's it's all the way fun. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm still going to go with Stakeout, but Dragnet, oh my, I got so nostalgic. I'm so happy during some of the stuff. Like, when they're doing the little, the pagan rally sequence, I remember so well. I got so happy during that. I don't know why. <laughs> Jeez. What is it that Christopher Plummer says uh, right before it starts, and he's like, and away we go. He has like a little rhyme. Rap yeah, rap. yeah. He says, he says this rhyme. For the final touch. A pristine virgin in a gown of white. Evil bringeth here our queen. She's as pure as she can be. White and clean as driven snow. From Orange County, here we go. <laughs> it's just funny that pagans would come up with their own little rhymes, like a little tiny notebook. With, with like, yeah, can you imagine it, like well, a Satanist? It's with, supposed to be. With like a little tongue out to the side. Uh, like thinking about it, writing it down. I'm so clever. <laughs> It's supposed to be like, uh, and I've always thought this, like when I, when you watch a, a movie that has some sort of satanic ritual or rite or something like this, it's in rhyme. The witch is like doing some sort of coven thing, uh, throwing Eye of Newton, whatever, and it's in rhyme. And it, I think it's it comes from Macbeth, Double Double Toil and Trouble. Yeah, maybe. And everybody's just hooked on to that concept of if it's going to be some sort of satanic ritual or rite, and it's not silent, <laughs> where they're all just maybe moaning and chanting in silence and stabbing whoever on the altar. It's gonna be like a dumb old style rhyme and that's what he does and uh i really don't have much else to say about this uh i don't know what we're planning on doing next talked about during uh like urban nightmare race to the city kind of movies you talked about doing um what was your idea for the next one i don't know we were talking about versus white supremacists oh yeah kicking some nazi ass or um we could do uh the extreme action because of john wick and stuff like yeah. that uh relentless action that one's i'm Not really stop. having a hard time with the relentless action thing i'm trying to whittle it down okay it's hard well we don't know what we're gonna do next we'll surprise you <laughs> <laughs> indubitably you made up a word that's not a word you liar <laughs> on that note but it's terrible it's a super dumb fun piece of crap it's awful
Hey everybody, welcome to Video Night. Uh, as you can tell by that extremely muted trailer, we're discussing 30 years of Spaceballs. I'm your host, Michael, and my guest this week is Jacob! A what? You went over my helmet? <laughs> I can't, hey, how's it going, everybody? It's funny how they don't bother to remaster the trailers in any way whatsoever. Oh god, I know. <laughs> I mean... I'm I mean, especially if people who grew up with like Mel Brooks and loved all of his films, you'd think they would celebrate like a huge anniversary edition of Spaceballs. I mean, shoot, they did like what ten years ago. I do have the special edition DVD, the first one from MGM, not the shitty one from Fox, where they got rid of all of the extra features. Um, oh. I know, right? MGM went like crazy. They went ludicrous <laughs> with all the uh, extra features because. Uh, MGM has always had kind of a limited catalog since uh, Ted Turner bought the rights to everything pre-1989 and, you know, sold it off to Warner Brothers. So now they were stuck with the uh, Universal, not Universal, United Artists, the Orion stuff. Um, actually, is this MGM that produced this? Well, MGM I believe so, yeah, because I remember the MGM uh, logo at the very beginning of the film. That's weird. This should have automatically gone to Warner Brothers because... See, MGM has all the stuff from Orion, uh, Filmways, uh, American, uh, was it Abco Embassy, um, American International Pictures, Canon Pictures, but nothing really of their own. So that's kind of strange. This is still under the MGM label. And, um, huh, I wonder how that even happened. Maybe because Brooks Films produced it and they didn't sell their rights to Ted Turner? They've gone to plaid. That's what happened. <laughs> oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> I'm playing the soundtrack in the background. <laughs> oh, I'm professional no, as always. Uh, so I know, but it's what makes us special. Now, that's when is the first time that's you saw we, this That's movie. why people love us. Oh, God. Uh, I remember, uh, I think, I was a little kid in San Bruno. And we had it uh, videotaped. Oh, God. I watched it. I've been watching it since then. It It's a classic. It stays with me. I can't remember if I saw this on VHS or maybe HBO. I know I saw it very early after it came out. I did not get to see it in the theaters, but I think people were telling me, like, what a crazy good movie it is, and I had to see it. So one way or another, I feel like around this time, all the movies from, like, 1986 through 88, 89... I uh, saw on HBO. My grandfather would tape all the movies and send them to me. I can't tell you how many times I've seen Revenge of the Nerds too. Uh, but um, <laughs> this is one of those very first movies that I really latched onto. My VHS collection. Uh, the first movie I ever bought was Back to the Future, but it wasn't until '87 they introduced, I think, uh, Columbia Pictures like home video. You remember when you used to get those things where you could buy like five for a dollar or something like that? Yes. All those big bargain deals. Right, and then, of course, you end up getting screwed later because they, <laughs> oh, you got to buy 15 at full price, and shipping and handling is just as much as the other tapes. You're like, that's fucked up. <laughs> but I got Dragnet and Spaceballs, first two movies I ever, like, got from that club. Oh, uh, dra <laughs> oh God, Dragnet, yes, that's awesome. But you still, honestly, what happened? No, I was going to say, you sounded like you were across the room, but now you sound better. Okay. Okay, good. Let's keep it that way. Ugh, God, I know. I was just going in ludicrous speed, and then I had to make an emergency stop. <laughs> <laughs> then I flew to the other side of the room and crashed into a wall. Finally surrounded by assholes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the, assholes. 
This is okay. So I remember this was um, Mel Brooks had taken a long break. He did History of the World uh, Part One, which did very well. He did High Anxiety, which wasn't as well received and did okay at the box office. And I think it was a five-year gap between that and Spaceballs. And then there was a four-year gap after this. I remember he was on The Tonight Show, came out as a homeless bum. And he laid on Johnny Carson's desk and said, Is there life after Spaceballs? This basically revitalized his career. But I think if you watch the movies before Spaceballs, they weren't so fast. So, um... Rat-a-tat-tat with the jokes. There was more of a slow burn with some of the jokes. But I think Airplane, the huge success of Airplane, changed uh, spoof comedy so that Mel Brooks had to pick up his A-game. Yeah, I know. Airplane pretty much just, like, whatever came to mind, they just put it right then on there. (laughs) At the the rate this going, this shit's going to hit the fan. And then next thing you know, you see a thing of shit hit a fan. Well, it's also... (laughs) It's great that the Zucker Brothers and Abrams change spoof comedy to make it more fast-paced. But the problem with that is if you rewind 10 years ago, you know, or a little bit more, when it started being like date movie, superhero movie, uh, fuck you movie, shit oh, movie. Oh, God. It's where there was no more shit plot. Movie. There was shit no, after shit. Right. Shitty movie seven. <laughs> it wasn't, there wasn't any development. It was just a straight-up, like, joke, 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 but there's no context, so therefore it doesn't work. Yet they made, yet I don't even know how they kept making them. They were such cheap fucking movies, though. <laughs> but yeah, this it, one, I mean, also, boy. Mel Brooks, uh, this genre, you know, science fiction, this is the only genre he has not touched or destroyed. And he finally had the, you know, with the success of Star Trek and Star Wars, he felt like he could take this on. And uh, it worked out perfectly. And <laughs> of all the people to cast, uh, as you were mentioning, as we're getting into the cast, of all the people to cast as, like, you know, the menacing Darth, like, Darth Vader uh, type villain, Dark Helmet, you cast, <laughs> you cast Rick Moranis. And you don't know this at first. At first, you're just like, who the hell's that enormous, like, helmet? And then, like, it pulls out Rick Moranis, and that's the first real, like, solid, like, what moment? I can't breathe in this thing! <laughs> oh, God. I mean, heck, even at the very beginning, when you see that ship, like, slowly coming out to, like, uh, full frame. Yeah. And it says, we break for nobody at the end of it. It pretty much made that spoof from Star Wars when you first see the Death Star, uh, Star Destroyer chasing a Leia's ship. Yeah. And it's, like, this huge-ass ship that still keeps going and going and going. When will it end? My God, it's been going the entire <laughs> time you've been talking about it. I rewound it to it. It's just going and going and going. I love uh, the special effects in this movie. As much as it's a parody, oh, God, yeah. it's also like the, they took time. They, they put a lot of detail. In order to sell a joke, it has to seem kind of real. And that's the problem with a lot of the new spoof movies is the simple fact that no time. They just they shot it, they wrote it, they did everything like it was, seems like in six weeks. And there's no care. And, and I would say the special effects in this are on par with at least Empire. Maybe even Return. Oh, Definitely. Oh god, definitely. Yeah, no, they were great. Um, even from the like, you know, the whole Schwartz lightsaber thing, or shooting that guy in the balls. Yeah. And then the, uh, God, even the, uh, you know, models that they used for, uh, you know, the, the Mega Maid at the end and the ships. Well, I, I particularly <laughs> like the special effect when they go to the diner. Um, as it's landing, I'm like, that is some top-notch eighty special effect right there. In fact, I'm not even sure. I want to see how much this movie costs because. Um, 
I feel like it was quite expensive for a spoof movie, and usually the best spoof movies are kind of pricey. Oh, indeed. Yeah, no, I mean, you look at it, and the production quality of this movie, it's fantastic. Even with um, John Candy as um, Barf, you know, freaking, like, you got the animatronic ears, you got the wiggling tail and everything. Like, and they, he was is, full... They, we should discuss the fact that this is the year that John Candy finally blew up. Like, he became an elite. I mean, we talked about Armed and Dangerous last year, but that wasn't that big of a hit, and Summer Rental did okay. But with Spaceballs and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, John Candy find him, you know, he moved up to the A-list. You know, after this, it was years of just fantastic films. Um, I'm going to say before these two movies that he did in 87, just it was kind of like a uh, 50-50 shot. Either he was a support or just wasn't very good lead. Yeah, he was definitely more, I found him uh, more of a supporting character. Heck, even in a small uh, role in a Home Alone, even then, that... Like was a, he pretty much got your attention that entire scene. Right, but or at Cool Runnings, he's a support. I don't, well, yeah, you're kind of right there. I thought it was, I mean, especially from uh, since I last saw it, I thought of him as like one of the main protagonists instead of uh, just a supporting character because he's the one who, you know, you see his viewpoint first and then he gets the team together and then it just kind of switches over to the team, uh, ski, um, Bobsledding team. I don't know. I feel like that had a poster where it said and John Candy, but I could be wrong. Um, looking at the budget for Spaceballs, $22.7 million, which in 1987 is some pretty solid cash. Made $38 million, so not a knock-it-out-of-the-park hit. If it cost less, it probably would have been you know, like shown to be a bigger hit. But, um, yeah, that's just amazing how much money he spent on a spoof, and you see everything on the screen because there's no big names in this. I mean... Rick Moranis and John Candy were kind of rising stars. Bill Pullman, Daphne Zuniga, I mean, just minor. I think one of them had been in Ruthless People, and Daphne Zuniga had been in, like, uh, The Sure Thing, and that was it. Yeah, and then you've also got Joan Rivers as the voice of Dot. Oh, right. And then you've got... George oh, Weiner no, is Rickle. the MVP of this movie. George Weiner is one of those guys who shows up and just fucking sells it every time. Now, after this, he should have blown up and been a pretty uh, strong lead, or maybe a villain in another comedy. But he had signed on to doing She's the Sheriff with uh, Suzanne Summers, which was a shitty syndicated TV show that went for like three years. And by the time that was over with, oh, no. his kind of career rise had just... Ah, oh, damn it. I know, because you see him as Colonel Sanders, and I thought he was... Definitely one of the funnier had one of the funnier moments, especially um, that one scene in particular. That's like one of the biggest fourth wall breaking scenes. Oh right! In um, I was I was trying to find a clever way for us to um, to fit that joke in, but I couldn't figure it out. But here we go. Um, let me just find the scene real quick. Um, yeah, I was gonna say like, oh, Jacob, what happened to the podcast? I don't know. We got lost somewhere along the way. Well, let's rewind the podcast, and I just couldn't figure out how to do it. But here we go. Let's go back to then. Now? Right now. Well, keep looking for them. Drinking the coffee. By the way, Mr. Coffee and Mr. Radar kill me. I have an idea. Corporal, get me the video cassette of Spaceballs the movie. Yes, sir. Fucking Parker's idea. Yeah, I know. And then there's like a couple of his movies. Yeah. To be or not to be. May I speak with you, please? Yes, sir. How could there be a cassette of Spaceballs the movie? 
We're still in the middle of making it. That's true. <laughs> but there's been a new breakthrough in home video marketing. Yes, yes. Instant cassettes. They're out in stores before the movie is finished. Nah. Here it is, sir. Spaceballs. Good work, Corporal. Punch it up. I like this. Not much too early. Prepare to fast forward. Preparing to fast forward. Fast forward. Fast forwarding, sir. <laughs> Why is there always so much preparing? <laughs> Just go! <laughs> no, 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 go past this. Past this part. In fact, never play this again. Try here. Stop. By the way, Mr. Rental. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Everything's got Mr. on it. <laughs> what the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened then? <laughs> the past and when? Just now. Wear it now, now. Go back to then. <laughs> when? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then <laughs> be now? Soon. <laughs> How soon? Sir! What? We've identified their location. Where? It's the moon of Vega. Good work. Set a course and prepare for our arrival. When? 1900 hours, By sir. By high noon tomorrow, they will be our prisoners. Oh! <laughs> 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 that is flat out my favorite scene. When I saw it the first time, I didn't understand, like, high-level comedy. Before this, it's, like, kind of, like, slapstick bullshit. You know, I didn't really understand dialogue, you know, the balancing of how words can make, you know, just make it so layered and so much funnier. Um, which I would discover, like, the next year, even more so with, like, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and stuff like that. But Rick Moranis, like, Steve Martin, those guys really embraced the verbal comedy and not so much the physical. Oh, God, I know. I mean, he just, I mean, when you hear uh, Steve Martin like, uh, say some of the things, like in uh, Three Amigos, yeah, yeah, again, all he had to do was just say, just say something in a funny way. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, him and Chevy Chase, masters of dialogue. Martin Short's no slouch either. You know, you think about that, but it, it's also kind of a balance in this. This is during that period where everybody from like SCTV and uh, Saturday Night Live were ruling comedy. Yes, we've had fits and spurts, of course, with uh, like you know the Adam Sandler group and uh, the newer the the Seth Rogen kind of you know. Uh, well, he's not Saturday Night Live. Um, like the Judd Apatow school, but the Saturday Night Live SCTV balance yeah. in the 80s and early 90s, it seemed like it escalated the intelligence, the difficulty of comedy. It really just raised the bar of, because you try to watch stuff from the 60s and 70s, and it just doesn't have the same complications, the difficulty, uh, the challenge of pulling a joke like it does when, say, in Fletch. There's so much that he's doing in just improv, very, very fast-paced. Eddie Murphy was like this. And John Candy and Rick Moranis just absolutely on the ball in this movie. <laughs> and then they also had to bring in uh, that one scene with Michael Winslow. Oh, were, yeah. Um... I was thinking, I was going to play that dink dink. When, when do they jam it? I can't remember. Is that early in the movie? Yeah, it was earlier in the movie when they uh, first uh, get uh, Vespa and uh, Dot. It was, oh. it, was, it was right after the asshole scene. Here we go. And it's just a jar of jam covering the satellite dish. 
That's an easy joke. But I still appreciate it. Oh god, yes, I know. Even with the Michael Lindsay's uh, sound effects, he's like he's just that bored. Uh, work. He's just a word, that bored space ball worker, and he's like trying to keep the time going. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know Mike, Michael Winslow, uh, who he is, you've never watched the Police Academy movies. He was so crucial during the 80s. Oh, God, yes. Oh, without him, I don't think that movie would have been as big. No. You don't need that private. We're right here. Now, what is it? Now, what is it? I'm having trouble with the radar, sir. What's wrong with it? I've lost the bleeps, I've lost the sweeps, and I've lost the creeps. The what? The what? And the what? You know, the bleeps. <laughs> the sweeps. <laughs> and the creeps. <laughs> That's not all he's lost. <gasps> sir. The radar, sir. It appears to be... Jammed. Jammed. There's only one man who would dare give me the raspberry. Lone Star! <laughs> they break the fourth wall so many times in this movie. <laughs> I've never seen anything. I remember there's a sequence later, and it's, I'll play it, but it doesn't make any sense because it's all visual. Is when they're fighting, um, you know, the sword fight, and he accidentally kills a couple members of the crew, and he goes, It wasn't me, it was him! <laughs> Why you? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just kind of pretty well balanced out, kind of a choreographed, simple sword fight, and then bam! <laughs> then there goes one of the stagehands, the boom men. Yeah, yeah which, that's right. That's what it is. Right when they're hanging that big old microphone. It. The second time I had seen it is when I finally got the joke because it goes by so fast. You're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Yeah, they got, he also had that same gag go on in uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights when they're doing sword fights, and then uh, Robin Hood accidentally stabs the guy's uh, little bagel. Oh, right, I remember that. <laughs> everybody hates Men in I hardly know anybody that likes Men in Tights, but everybody loves Spaceballs. Spaceballs what? is clearly a better movie, but Men in Tights isn't bad, but it, it relies too much on the puns. Like old-school kind of like um, uh, uh, Catskills kind of humor. Right, but even then, it still holds up really well. And again, all the old like slapstick jokes, and then you also had um, oh gosh, who played? Who's the one that played King John? Um, what well, is are we Richard, Lewis? Richard Lewis? Yes, that's who it is. Okay. Yeah, and then you had his kind of, and then you kind of had his little com comedic blend into the picture, like yeah. in the bathtub scene. It's like all the guys are like blowing horns into the bubbles. He's like, all right, everybody, you can blow, not blow. <laughs> Whoa! We we should do a Mel Brooks episode, because um, you know it's gonna be a long time till we do another anniversary of his stuff. Let, let, let's do after this, like maybe a couple weeks from now. Let's do a Mel Brooks episode. We talk about Blazing Saddles and you know the producers and History of the World Part One and stuff like that. If if you want, it sounds like something that you and I would enjoy. That Andrew, the the co-creator of the show, would not get into. How could you not get into Mel Brooks? It's wonderful. I can't hear you at History all. History of the World is also um. <laughs> Oh, okay. It's like, how could you not get into Mel Brooks? I mean, History of the World Part One, uh, Silent, even Silent Movie. Yeah, High Anxiety it's, it's was. Funny. A it's not, it's not my shot. favorite by any means, but um, I want to leave Dracula Dead and loving it off. 
uh, because it's uh, I wish it wasn't his final <laughs> film. There's a couple really really solid jokes in there that make me crack up, but um, it, it's it's it, once Leslie Nielsen realized he was funny, he wasn't funny anymore. Uh, I don't know. I never. I honestly, I never ever knew he was a serious actor before Airplane. Yeah, I uh, I knew they a never. little bit because like Forbidden Planet, but yeah, in general, no, I didn't realize he had done so much dramatic work. Um, everybody here though is a comedian, which maybe that's why this works so much better. It, it seems like sometimes in spoofs you have guys who play it straight and they really know how to play it straight because they're not really comedians, and then. It's the uh, juxtaposition of what they're saying compared to how they're saying it is what makes it so funny. But in this, every single last person is funny. I mean, even Daphne Zuniga, who most people have forgotten because they only know her from this and, like, the sure thing, is pretty spot on in this. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you got Joan Rivers' voice. But the actual uh, stand-in for Dot, the one who's, like, behind the suit and everything, I think it was an actual mime. Oh, uh, makes sense. That. Totally makes sense. I mean, how can you even yeah. see out of those damn eye holes? I, I don't see anything at all. It just, like, blanks. I know. It's like, do they have to be, like, two-way two mirrored or what? It's weird. And, then, you know, there was... Uh, Rook, what I noticed that Rick Dukeman was actually one of the uh, security guards um, when they uh, went in to save Vespa and Dot from Spaceball 1. From, uh, Spaceball 1. Why don't I remember? Or no, that? Spaceball City. Yeah, Rick Dukeman. He passed. Yeah, he was, right? he was the one in the Burbs. Yes, he was actually one of the uh, security guards watching over the prison facility. The one where um, they land at Spaceball City, and there's like, you can't park here. Yeah, can't you read the sign? And then oh, yeah. Bart comes out and pulls them off. <laughs> uh, uh, before we get too far, the other also, scene that is so memorable in this movie that you and I both love is the asshole scene, which. I endlessly like to remind people of. Um... <laughs> hey, I don't have to put up with this. I'm rich. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm calling my father. One eight hundred Ruidia. Careful, you idiot! I said across her nose, not up it. Sorry, sir. Doing my best. <laughs> Who made that man a gunner? I did, sir. He's my cousin. Who is he? He's an asshole, sir. I know that. What's his name? That is his name, sir. Asshole. Major asshole. And his cousin? He's an asshole, too, sir. Gunner's made first class Philip asshole. How many assholes we got on this ship, anyhow? Yo! <laughs> I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Keep firing, assholes! <laughs> oh my god I love that scene so much yeah. let's talk oh, about man. Bill Pullman oh, for a know, second um, coming out of nowhere basically and just stealing this movie he is so insanely good in this and I wish he had done more comedy but after this you know he got kind of caught up in the whole uh, Independence Day epic you know like the bigger movies uh, playing kind of like a poor man's Bill Paxton Pretty much, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, I honestly... Oh, my God, yeah. They even made jokes of that when Bill Paxton hosted Send That Live uh, right after uh, Titanic hit. They kept confusing him with Bill Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same thing with Dylan McDermott and Derma Mulroney. They both look like the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get this joke for years. 
<laughs> that was from the bridge of Ruby. I know. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's what it's. Oh, that's what it's making fun of. Oh, yeah. If you notice, uh, one of the uh, actors is Tony Cox. I did notice that. You can barely tell, but he's under all that makeup. If you don't know, who Tony Cox is uh, very well known for Bad Santa. <laughs> Bad Santa. He was in Willow. That's he was right. in um. He was in so many movies. Heck, Leprechaun Two. He was in there with Warwick Davis. I think he and Warwick Davis, along with um, oh god, the actor who played Migosh. I think they all like, kind of stuck together and stayed friends. Huh. I mean, it's a small community, so it kind of makes sense. Uh, Mel Brooks, yeah. uh, of course, directing and co-writing this, playing uh, President Scroob, which, uh, of the characters, I, I actually prefer that one. Uh, when he plays Yogurt, uh, I think it's a little heavy-handed, a little too cat skills. Of course, he's playing it with a Yiddish accent, but I, I don't think the jokes work as well. Um, there's a weird humor found when you're taking someone who's completely oblivious of the facts that are going on the way that Scroob is, uh, there's a lot of humor yeah. to mind out of that. Yogurt is kind of finding the jokes, and it, it seems like he's sweating it a little bit. But the one joke that works, I think, so well is uh, the merchandising joke. Oh yeah, the merch. Oh god, this definitely says a lot about a blockbuster. Yeah. Or pretty much like the expo- you know, the explosion of Star Wars and all that. Right. What is this place? What is it that you do here? Merchandising. Merchandising. What's that? Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Open up this door. <laughs> Come, walk this way. Take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising. Where the real money from the movie is made. Spaceballs, <laughs> no the t-shirt. Spaceballs, the coloring book. I love the coloring book has Optimus Prime on it. Spaceballs, the breakfast cereal. Spaceballs, the flamethrower! The kids love this one. Last but not least, Spaceballs, the doll. Me. May the Schwartz be with you! <laughs> but no, seriously, on the front of the coloring book, you see there is a uh, drawing of Optimus Prime on the front of it, which means they ran out at the last second and they had to get something, anything, and then slap the word Spaceballs on it. <laughs> I'll have to look into it. Oh my god! It's yeah, it's been a while. I have not noticed that at all. You know, actually, yogurt. Um, Mel Brooks actually wanted uh, Gene Wilder to come in and play yogurt. And was he too busy doing haunted? No, honey, the haunted honeymoon was the year before. Um, what was he doing in '87? I don't think he was doing anything because I feel like he did. I think he was sick at the time. Haunt? Uh, wait, he was sick. Yeah, I think he had like I think he was like sick at the time and he couldn't do it. Oh, well, I mean, you're not talking like real sickness, like. Well, I know that Gilda. Maybe that's why I he did um. He did haunted honeymoon with Gilda, and then uh, there was a couple years where he didn't do anything. That must have been when she was really sick and she passed away. And then he did see no evil, hear no evil. Um, so that must be why, because I can't imagine why he turned down his friend to do like a fun cameo like that. It would have been great. No, because uh, I remember, I think uh, I remember Mel Brooks talking in a commentary where uh, Gene Wilder had the flu and he couldn't do it. Oh, okay. And then, you know, time crunches, yeah. you can't sit and wait around. So I guess that makes sense why he played yeah. both. Um, I can't remember what else I was going to say. Uh, 
there's so many insane jokes in this. And of course, Mel Brooks said that he did this out of love for the genre. And that's another thing that works for spooks. If you have a genuine affection for it, and you're not just doing it as a quick cash in, like the way those assholes that do like date movie or whatever it is. You know, those guys just grab oh, yeah. pop at the time. But they haven't even seen the movie. They've only seen the trailer. Remember that one where they parodied Hancock and he flew into, like, a light pole and crashed down? That was a joke. That isn't a joke. That's just like, uh, I observe something. I might make it. I don't know what I'm doing with this. I'm just making a, you know, it's not. In order to mind really good humor, you kind of have to have a weird affection for a genre. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, Mel Brooks said that with like all of his films. Whenever it came to be a parody of some Blazing Saddles um, and High Anxiety, I think were like, and Spaceballs are like the biggest examples of that. Right. You know. Plus, it, he even said, he even said it himself. They're like uh, Spaceballs was like uh, the last genre that he said he could destroy <laughs> with his humor and his parody. Well, he but, hadn't got to the superhero genre yet, but at the time, of course, there was only Superman, basically. Um, and, you and know, Batman. Robin well, Batman Men didn't come out three years kind later. Of, he kind of uses a lot of jokes that he had in a TV show um, that was a parody of Robin Hood, but I can't remember the name of it for the life of me. Um, it only lasts like six episodes, but it was a parody of the whole genre, and he used a lot of those jokes again in Men in Tights. But, um, you know, there's there's alien jokes, there's Star Trek, there's uh, Star Wars, of course, uh, 2001, yes. Planet of the Apes, which isn't a space, but, well, it's, it's a little bit of a space. It, you know, the movie starts it, off with... It's sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, like at the very end, when it's like, what are the, when they look at uh, these things coming out of the Statue of uh, Mega Maid's head, it resembles the Statue of Liberty, and they're just like, space balls? Oh, shit. There's the planet. <laughs> Here's another and, scene. Oh. You started the episode off with this. So, Princess Vespa, at last, I have you in my clutches to have my way with you the way I want to. No! No, please, leave me alone. No, you are mine. Not so fast, Helmet. Lone Star. Yes, it's me. I'm here to save my girlfriend. Hi, honey. Now you are going to die. Oh! 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 Hey, what you do to my friend? The same thing I'm going to do to you, big boy. Oh! Oh! And you too. Oh! Oh! Now, Princess Vespa, at last we are alone. Oh, no. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. Leave me alone. Yes. I find you strangely attractive. Of course you do. Druish princesses are often attracted to money and power. And I have both. And you know it. Oh, leave me alone. No, kiss me. No, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, yes. Oh, 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 your helmet is so big. Hard helmet, watch it. You need another princess, sir. Knock on my door. Knock next time. Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. <laughs> Rick Moranis owns this, man. He's so great. <laughs> I, mean, I know. That's what the scene was. It's like he just got caught masturbating. You know, there, <laughs> oh, my that. God, you're right. There is another episode we could just do about Rick Moranis, considering that I would bet you most people under your age have no idea who he is because he's been gone for 20-something years now. But there was a decade there where he was just hitting home run after home run. And then, of course, like Big Bully and Little Giants came along and they didn't do so well and he kind of just stopped. Yeah. Well, um, well, after his wife passed away, he left Hollywood to raise his kids. Yeah. So, yeah, after that, after that he was just done. And now... Plus, as far as uh, returning for uh, Ghostbusters or um, 
you know, the sequel to Spaceballs, that's been rumored. Uh, he doesn't really feel that, I don't think he'll feel the need to, you know, go back to Hollywood. He doesn't, like, have the, doesn't really care for it anymore. Nah, he's been doing, he did a couple albums which I actually really enjoyed. One was called the Agoraphobic, I said the word wrong, Agoraphobic Cowboy, which in itself is funny, but it's kind of like weird, ironic (laughs) cowboy songs. And then he did, uh, I think it's called My Mother's Dinner or My Mother's Kitchen, where he's saying like old Yiddish songs. But they're both albums are great, and I think one of them got him a Grammy. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I, I miss him, but he did it for the right reasons. But you think by now he would do a little bit, like come back. I'm sure his kids are fully grown now, but maybe he just got tired of it. He saved his money. He doesn't need to worry about it. Yeah, you're right. That, yeah, that could be it. You know that scene. We'll have to there? wait and see. You know that scene earlier when you were talking about how, you know, when the security guards come and get them, and, and he's like, they, they rescue Princess Vespa, and she picks up the gun, and she, he's like, holy shit, it's like Rambo! Well, when I watched it on TV, he said, holy milk duds! <laughs> Not even close. What are they thinking? What the, out of all the words he used, he used milk duds. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's so stupid. Did you watch the cartoon? <laughs> yeah. I did, actually. I was hoping to see more of it. I mean, it came out on G4 when it was still G4, uh, G4. all about video games. What's it called now? And Esquire TV or something? I think it's... I don't know. I think it might still be G4, but I think they show more of a, you know, college campus cop patrol or some oh, crap shit. like yeah, that. Yeah, the minute they start showing stupid. cops instead of X-Play and stuff like that, I, uh, I was it done. It died. It just died. Yeah. I miss Morgan Webb and it Adam died Kessler. faster than MTV. <laughs> yes, them, and I also uh, miss. Uh, what was another show on there? What's the one? Okay, she I was can't... in the last X Men movie. Um, oh, they... Olivia Munn. Yeah, what show was she on? Because I actually like that show quite a bit. Yeah, no, I did too. I just can't remember what it was called, and she was just absolutely hilarious on that. Heck, I think that's where she actually got her start. It was. That's the first time I saw her. Um, yeah, I miss that. And I never got to see Spaceballs because after they kind of dropped the video game thing, which is... The, I don't understand what they were thinking. When they had video game stuff, they um, they were basically on every cable network. They were on every satellite station. And then the minute they dropped and started going with, like, cheapo reality bullshit, I, I couldn't find it anymore. So I have not seen... And, and no one ever archived the X-Play episodes and that really is dis- dis- oh, so disappointing i can't believe they went that way i don't understand why it is that cable stations that start off with a certain path like a focus they'll completely change it like um what is it uh not esquire because that's what i said earlier bravo bravo used to be this place where you got really smart intelligent artistic stuff or rare tv shows that were kind of like critical darlings but didn't get any attention and all of a sudden it turned into like this shitty soap opera reality bullshit like e and or, or like Pretty IFC. Much, yeah. IFC is no longer really focused on independent only. When you see shit like Terminator 2, technically it's from a studio that was independent, but that movie made $200 million. Why the fuck is that on an independent station? And that's what G4 did. And, uh, you know, I give them credit for doing Spaceballs because it's still in that nerdy genre. But that's really the only thing they've done that I even remember. Yeah, there's that. There's also one about uh, cheat codes. There's also one about... Um... Oh, shit, Playing, that's right. Uh, MMORPGs. What is that one There's called? There's one dedicated uh, to uh, Code Monkeys? gaming news, too. Was it called Code Monkeys? I think so. I want to say yes. I'm yeah, not sure. We'll, we'll then there's one that... Um, 
Then there's one where they hosted like uh, all these tournaments, like they like all these gamer teams would get together and you know play oh, each other and all yeah. these like mech assault or boring. Doom or something like that. Yeah. And then there was um. Oh god, there was this one that was actually like a news station that brought out like all the uh, big gaming news that was going on, like all the expos, like what's going on with uh, Sony, if they're in trouble or not. Yeah. Reporting on all that. And then there was these countdown shows. I did. You know, like I like those. 10 Final Fantasy villains. Yeah, um, they did one where it yeah. was uh, icons, where it would be a whole half hour devoted to one topic. Like one would be about Sonic the Hedgehog, one would be about Atari or Nolan Bushnell, one they did about Seth Green, uh, Kevin Smith, J.J. Abrams, anything in that nerd culture, uh, especially like video game stuff. I mean, they do a whole episode devoted yeah. to Capcom. And you're like, that's what the station is for, and then they changed it. You're like, what the fuck, man? There was one um, dedicated to. Uh... There was also one that was like dedicated to uh, Prince of Persia. I remember. I, and um, that guy, one of the creators, the sound designer for, for the original Prince of Persia game, he was like a co-host on one of the shows on G4. I remember that. Vinny Tescadero or something like that. I think I made up a name. I think that's from um, uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> but I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and they also went in behind the scenes like to look at the upcoming games, like the big hits, like Netzio Republic 1 and 2. Uh, 1 and 2. Uh, but yeah, no, with Spaceballs, it was a surprise for me. I mean, it did fit, as you said, it fit the genre, the whole nerdy sci-fi genre. But of all the networks to pick it up, I was like, G4? You'd think he'd go to like one of the bigger stations that love and respect Mel Brooks. Yeah, I, I assumed but, it would be part of like Comedy Central's animation block, or at bare minimum, Adult Swim. And all of a sudden, G4, they must have yeah. ponied up whatever cash they had available to do that, because I haven't seen it. Was it cheapo Flash animation? Yeah, it definitely involved flash animation, uh, but I thought it did have some quality to it. They did parody, uh, like, you know, the Star Wars prequels. They also made fun of Lord of the Rings. There's a <laughs> and, of course, Mel Brooks was still on board. They had Joan Rivers, and and Daphne Zinigo was there, too. Really? Everybody uh, else? No. Everybody else, they had to find somebody. Oh, of course, you can't replace John Candy. No, no, no. And I think Bill Pullman, I think Bill Pullman would have wanted more money. Yeah, probably. He's still kind of a name. Like, you know, every once in a while he'll disappear, and then he'll show up in, like, The Grudge or something and have a little bit of a comeback. Really good actor, highly underrated. He did a movie called Mr. Wrong with Ellen DeGeneres, which I think would have done a lot better if Ellen hadn't been the star, had been someone else, because it's a very funny script, and Bill Pullman is completely fucking bonkers in it. And it's a really wild, crazy film that made no money. Damn. I'll have to look it up when I get the chance. Yeah. Um, we should probably get wrapped up here because we're starting to go towards uh, 40 minutes, and me and Jacob talked about this. We had 45 minutes to fill. So <laughs> I want to play this one clip right before we go, and then we'll do a little goodbyes. I love that he looks to make sure he got that right. <laughs> Before you die, there is something you should know about us, Lone Star. What? I am your father's, brother's, nephew's, cousin's former roommate. <laughs> What's that make us? Absolutely nothing. Which is what you are about to become. <laughs> I fucking love it. <laughs> it's, it's just really like, again crazy weird wordplay and um it's what makes oh, the movie work so well 
Oh, I forgot about yeah, the crazy singing alien. Oh my god, the one that burst out of his chest. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime girl. Time's off. <laughs> Send me a kiss by wire. Baby, my heart's on fire. Dude, John Hurt. That He actually reprised that you know yeah. little role there just for that movie. Oh no. Not again. <laughs> Rest in peace, John Hurt. How much entertainment did that guy give us? Always showing up as like a really strong support. I know, and that dark, deep voice of his. And then seeing him in Beaver Vendetta as like the, you know, the supreme ruler of Great Britain. Or Hellboy. Ugh, evil son of a bitch, too. Of course, Hellboy cannot forget Hellboy. There is one that oh. he made called Outlander with Jim Caviezel as the lead. And, um... It's really, really underrated. It's only, I think it was only in like, you know, screens for like a week. You know, like 98 screens. And it, I don't know if you've ever even heard of it. Outlander, it's, it's set in like the Norse mythology about this alien that comes down. And this, uh, it's like a just giant fucking monster. Like a T-Rex basically going, not, not, I mean not visually like a T-Rex. But it's just like this big huge monster going through a Norse village destroying everything. And Jim Caviezel is this alien bounty hunter who's after it. And he has to get the help of the Vikings to defeat it. And John Hurt's in it, and Ron Perlman, and uh, um, John Hughes. I have heard of that actually. You have seen it. It's, it's pretty solid, and not a lot of people have seen it. Yeah, no, I'll have to give it a look. I have to, I have to look into it. I remember seeing it on the shelf of Blockbuster so many times when I went to go get something. Yeah, it was a Blockbuster exclusive. I forgot this is when Weinstein signed with Blockbuster. My God, do you imagine like towards the end, the Weinstein's like, "Oh shit, they're going down. We gotta, we gotta pull out." <laughs> <laughs> I think it might still be on Netflix, though. I'll have to look. Maybe. Um, yeah. So that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. Is there anything you want to say about Spaceballs before we go? I really hope there is a sequel. I'm uh, especially with the success of uh, Episode Seven, and. <laughs> Heck, there's even a little spoof meme of uh, Ray's uh, parents uh, being Lone Star and fucking <laughs> <laughs> Beth. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mel's so, honestly, awfully old. Do you think he'll still direct it, or he'll just have a hand in producing it and have someone else direct it? Uh, I would definitely keep him on as a producer. I mean, he definitely. I mean, he'll know what like, especially if it's going to be a sequel to his movie. You kind of want to keep it in the same genre, but you know, make it funny. You know, to with today's comedy, the one that people know and love, but still keeping like those slapstick puns. Definitely. Um, so check us out on Facebook under Video Nights. You'll find all of our episodes there. And Jacob and I, um, maybe we'll be back in a couple weeks. We'll discuss some more Mel Brooks movies. Um, throughout the year, we'll be discussing some 30th anniversary episodes. Either I'll be doing it with Jacob or Andrew. So look out for episodes where we discuss Lost Boys, Monster Squad, Dragnet, Stakeout, and so much more. And, of course, there's our normal episodes where we just kind of pick, like, a subject. And we talk about four good movies that we uh, think are kind of underrated or forgotten in that genre. And I cannot believe that... It's the 10th anniversary of Retro Rock Entertainment. I it started off as a blog discussing like trashy, underrated movies, and eventually it turned into the podcast. And Jacob and I have been doing this almost three years now. And in a couple weeks, it's going to be the third anniversary where we started with uh, uh, Raising Arizona and Running Man, which you weren't part of that one, but we did that. We did Caddyshack. So that was kind of the birth of Video Night. So I, I appreciate everybody supporting us through all of those awkward years where we tried to figure out how to get the show the way... Not only the way we wanted it to be, but the way you guys would actually want to listen to it, because uh, there's been a lot of mistakes along the way. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little. Just a smudge. Just a sprinkle. <laughs> you know, just like that one dude on the internet, those like 10 second vines of him just like 
splashing uh, spices down on a piece of meat or something. <laughs> just like All that. Right. Just that much. Just a sprinkle. <laughs> uh, Jacob, send us out. All right. Namaste and good luck, my friends. All right. Prepare to lift off.
It's them, the little guys. I don't know how you got here or why you picked us. Somebody's helping them. Somebody's bringing them together. Is that why you're here? Not included. Starring Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy. Hey everybody, it's video night. This episode's going to be a little bit different. We're not just going to do our normal discussion about a couple of movies or a theme. Um, we're going to discuss the 30th anniversary of Harry and the Hendersons and Barry's Not Included. And we're going to uh, add in our summer movie preview. We do every single year. Figure you just knock it out in one little episode, you know, just instead of like cramming it out there in like little mini-sodes. Uh, I'm your host Michael. Andrew's sitting this one out. Jake's back. What's up, Jacob? Hey, hey, hey. You know what's up? The heat. That's what. It's starting to get warm around here. I'm loving it. Uh, yeah, I miss it. Uh, it's uh, still cold and rainy. I'm still wearing a coat, and I want to turn on the heater. I am absolutely sick of it. It's May 1st. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, no. No more it's going to be May memes of Justin uh, Timberlake. It's May. <laughs> it's May now. <laughs> All right, everybody. Can you believe oh. it's been 30 years? Uh, of, of I, I think one of the greatest summers ever. 84 is probably the greatest summer movie uh, time period of my life. Uh, 87 is pretty damn good. We got like Dragnet. We got Stakeout. We got Revenge of the Nerds 2. We got Monsters God, Lost Boys, Adventures in Babysitting, Inner Space. I mean, come on. That's crazy. Better Cop 2. Oh, oh my gosh. That, I, that makes me realize something. Holy crap. Wait a minute. Robocop as well, right? Yep. Robocop. Oh my god. And Masters of the Universe has come. Oh, my God. And Predator. Oh, damn. Right? This is Holy crazy. <laughs> Summer 87, man. Yeah, I know. I'll tell you this. Must it makes up good... for uh, 86 being kind of lackluster, but I got to tell you what. 1988 is a big bag of shit. We're not going to have hardly oh, any God. anniversary episodes next year. We're going to have to celebrate 1993 instead because <laughs> 1988 is just fucking terrible. Damn it. You got Naked okay. Gun. Well, what about 89? And, uh, oh, yeah. Batman. We had Batman. That's 89. Yeah, that's 89. But not 88. We're talking about 88. 89, we're good. Damn we, it. We got, we got Roadhouse. We got Ghostbusters 2, Batman, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. 89 is awesome. 88 was just like, <laughs> we got nothing left. We got Who Friend Roger Rabbit, but we already... <laughs> yeah, 88 well, sucks. good. <laughs> beaches. I want to discuss yeah. beaches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, though, here I was born, the movies had to suck. Well, thankfully... I was walking and talking by the time Good Movie came out the year after. <laughs> I, I was born in 77, so I had Smokey and the Bandit and Star Wars. And that's all you really need, I think. In as, oh, as fuck it. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, speaking of, please tell me you saw the trailer for Last Jedi. I did. It was great. I know. Holy fuck is my question. <laughs> oh, no, it's my statement. But anyway, all right, so... Back to Harry and the Hendersons. We're getting, we're getting, we're derailing. All right, Harry and the Hendersons. Now, this is something that only my sister will remember, but my grandfather used to tape movies off of HBO and send them to us. And I have to tell you that the summer of 87 through the summer of 88, he gave us about eight tapes. So we watched over and over and over. Oh my God, I can't believe how many times I've seen Harry and the Hendersons. But here's the thing is, unlike the rest of the movies that were on this this tape collection, I'm going to tell you, I'm thinking of other ones too. We got Summer School. We got Hot Pursuit with John Cusack. Um, trying to think of some other ones. Uh, we just had so many of these tapes filled with movies and Harry and the Hendersons is one of the only ones I have not revisited. Whereas the rest of them are still regular watches. We watch Summer School on, on a yearly basis. Oh, I love that one. Thanks, Team Fa. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah, uh, Dean Dean Cameron, right? Correct. Yeah. 
Oh man, that guy was awesome. The guy is, is still awesome, but yes, he's not starring and oh, stuff anymore. Sure. He's just more like supporting and cameos and stuff like that. Um, Harry and the Hendersons. This is one of those um, weird movies where I actually read the book first. I went to the library and they would have on an end cap uh, movies that were coming up, and they have like the little, you know, the junky paperback, you know, two ninety nine to get. Uh, they had this, and I grabbed Harry and the Hendersons, and I read it before I ever saw the movie. Oh wow! Yeah, I know which ones you're talking about. Those little, very little thin, uh, like you know, double sized pamphlets. Well, say. not that small. I think it was still like one of those, you know, paperbacks you could fit in your back pocket, but not a, not a really thin. I'm oh. probably talking like a, we're probably talking about 140 pages, 160 at most. Um, I did this with uh, License to Drive and Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade as well. I can't recall if there's any others, but Harry and the Hendersons, I think, is the first one where I grabbed the book first. And in my mind, what I had created somehow still matched up to what was in the movie and it's one of the few times i've done that where it did not disappoint right well no honestly i um as far as like having experiences with those kind of books the only one i had was like batman and batman returns but as far as harry and the hendersons go yeah no i thought it was i mean as a little kid i remember seeing it briefly and then i remember it from being at universal studios where you, you know you're going around doing the little tour and then you know you have some they pick people from the audience to do like the sound effects and the noises and then one person, like, doing the growling and uh, the noises of Harry, all of a sudden, uh, unsuspectingly, Harry comes up behind her and spooks her at the last bit of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just all in good fun, though. But, yeah, no, I thought it was um, definitely a good – I thought it was, like, definitely a good family adventure film. I, of course, there's a little bit of language in it. And, you know, well, it's the 80s. A little bit PG of that in the 80s is totally different than PG now. Oh, definitely. But still, they did allow some language. The uh, This is one of the first times I think I ever... And one of the few times you see John Lithgow as like a sympathetic hero where he's kind of known for playing villains or truly outrageous characters. Yeah, oh God. Yeah, and particularly, uh, what, Third Rock from the Sun and Shrek. You know, Cliffhanger. Lord Farquaad. Oh, yeah, that too. What was that one with Denzel? Uh, Ricochet. That that one too. Oh, God, he was such a shape. Yeah, yeah no. Was. See him as this kind of... Uh, sympathetic you know uh family man just you know you know your typical family man wanted to get his son hunting in baseball and then you know ends up you know fucking hitting bigfoot and almost you know <laughs> leaving him there to die until his like wife talked him into it oh gosh who what was the wife who played the wife why did she sound so familiar uh, Linda Linda Dillon? Dillon. i'm pretty sure she's from close encounters yeah close encounters yeah i, I keep getting confused but terry gar and melinda Dillon are in it terry gar I've only seen the movie once, and people are going to be flipping the fuck out because it's one of those Spielberg movies. There's a couple Spielberg movies I haven't seen. I've never seen Always. Um, I've never seen uh, Bridge of Spies. But I know. There's, there's some reason I have never seen Close Encounters. Uh, yes, she... Right. Da, 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 1977. Yeah, Close Encounters. Um, she was also in Slapshot, Bound for Glory, uh, the Muppet movie, but she's only in a cameo in that. Oh, she's the mother in Christmas Story. Oh my gosh, I don't know. I wonder why she sounds so familiar. I'm like, wait a minute. Give her some curly hair. There you go. Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, wow. Yeah, honestly, she was definitely more of the uh, kind of reasonable uh, kind of... Uh, she, was more, she was more of the reason to his, you know, butch, macho, facade, you know, all-American you know, all man that John Lithgow tried to, tried to seem like. And well, then next thing you know, he gets into a hit and run with Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, seem like is the appropriate phrasing here because you realize about halfway through the movie, and he realizes as well, he's doing all this like hunting, trying to make his son like a man, and then he realizes he's just been pushed into it. He wants to be an artist. He's more emotion-based. Where his father has like this big disconnect, played by M. Emmett Walsh, who's always good at playing those kind of like 
Um, All-American kind of like, um, let's just, Republican, just Republican. I'll say Republican. <laughs> just, you know, just, that's the only thing I can think yeah. of. You know, gun-toting, not using a whole lot of common sense and reasoning, just kind of, yep, I'm just going to go kill it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. And, of course, you know, that's just like, I mean, the way he was raised, and he's trying to pass that on down to his son, and then re- uh, without realizing, you know, the world's going to change. So you have to be a little bit more open-minded. Yeah, and uh, I like the little kid. The only thing I've ever seen this kid in was an episode of Amazing Stories with him and Seth Green. The first thing I think Seth Green ever was in was, um, have you ever watched Amazing Stories? Uh, no, but is that where Seth Green's uh, career actually started? Was Amazing Stories, or was it Radio Days? I'm pretty sure, what? Radio Days by Woody Allen? No, actually, Radio Days came a year or two afterwards. Um, Amazing Stories was Steven Spielberg's TV show for NBC, kind of an anthology. It was a little bit like Twilight Zone, but it had more, I want to say, gloss to it. Bigger budgets, better stars, um, not so much like tragic or ironic twists. It was more um humorous or deep emotional um saccharine i guess is what we call it saccharine sweet kind of ends uh whimsical whimsical right. is another word a good description for it and you know what's funny is look at the movies that he did around this time period um they look like they're supposed to be episodes of amazing stories just elaborated into bigger scripts like harry and the henderson's easily could have been a half hour episode and barry's not included as well Maybe not so much inner space because that seems more complicated, but they do seem like they started off as maybe scripts for the show and then said, you know what, these are better than just a half hour. Let's let's uh, expand this. Yeah, right. But in the end, I mean, Harry and the Hendersons was a success. I mean, it opened up third behind Beverly Hills Cop 2 and Untouchables. Oh, shit. And, you know, it, that's a great one, too. Damn. Oh, God. And Beverly, uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a, but anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, it went on to, uh, it did become a series after, right? I mean, the movie was that much of a success. Yeah, well, it didn't make that much money in America. When you look at it on Wikipedia, it's kind of the scene that says $49 million at the box office. That's worldwide. It was a huge international hit. Um, Bigfoot's kind of a thing that can translate anywhere. Uh, it cost $16 Pretty much, million. yeah. It doesn't look like it cost $16 million. That's the thing that's confusing to me. Um, you could have easily shot this up in Vancouver, uh, for a low amount of money, but they probably shot in like the California Redwoods or something like that. Um, but still, oh, yeah. seems a lot, but it means mostly special effects because the cast is not expensive. I mean, the only other name here that I really like know is uh, Don Amici, who had just come off of Cocoon and Trading Places. Oh, that's right. Oh, gosh. Huh. There's a scene. I, would, I, was, I was like. There's a scene. I'm like the, wondering. I'm like, God, what's his name? Yeah, Don Amici <laughs> grabs that little kid quickly and just starts running with him. And I'm like, he must have been in his 70s by then. He just grabs that like, I mean, how much do you think that kid weighed? 70 pounds? Probably. Yeah, he looks like a lightweight. Yeah, he just grabbed him real quick and just ran. I was like, I can't do that now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, Don Amici, may he rest. Oh, oh, what you're saying, though, yeah, it did become a TV show. It was a syndicated TV show. Uh, this is when Universal started looking into expanding into syndication or starting their own network. Same thing for Paramount. Uh, so they did uh, TV versions of The Untouchables. Not, I know it was a TV show first, then became a movie, but then a TV show. But trust me on this one. It makes sense. Um, <laughs> then they did Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, so- they also did Weird Science. Oh, wow. Oh, God, yeah. No, I was wondering who... Uh... Do the weird science TV show? Yeah, I remember like, seeing that like as a kid. As a kid, yeah, John Landis produced that for Universal. But uh, there was a time where they were starting to do 
like these packages for syndication. That's how Hercules and Xena started. They were part of this big package deal where they were trying to get movie guys to make TV shows like Sam Raimi did Hercules and Xena. Um, they tried to do a TV series for Stakeout. Not Stakeout, I'm sorry. Uh, Midnight Run, uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story uh, director. He tried to do one called Vanishing Sun. And then there was a bunch of Bandit movies like Smoking the Bandit sequels. Oh, God, yes, there were. They're all uh, where did they stop? Number four? Uh, there's a lot of Smoking the Bandits, man. Uh, there's the three that were in the theater, oh, and then Jesus. I think there were four TV moves, and they're all just terrible. <laughs> kind of like the Thor vs. Hulk uh, TV movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, back when superhero movies had no budget whatsoever because no one had any faith in them. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. God, no, I know. But nowadays, holy shit. Yeah. And we're going to see Thor, and then we're going to see Thor Ragnarok. We're going to see him and Gladiator Hulk go at it. Uh, Planet Hulk, yeah, more yeah. likely. Um, Kevin Peter anyway. Hall uh, also had a great summer because he was the Predator that year. If people don't know this, Van Damme was originally set up to be the Predator, and the suit looks stupid as hell. Uh, they have pictures of it online. Um, and Van Damme kept passing out because the costume wasn't ventilated properly. Uh, then they decided to go back to the... Uh, back to the special effects studio, Stan Winston, and redo the whole costume, and that's when they got Kevin Peter Hall to do that. So he must have done this and Harry and Henderson, or Predator and Harry and Henderson's back-to-back. Right. Oh, God, yeah. No, Damn, Kevin Peter Hall, that guy was, he, he was busy this year. Have you ever seen a was TV he also show the one who Misfits did Jason, of Science? Misfits of Science. No, but I like the sound of it. It would be, definitely would be relevant now. Yeah, it's, we need uh, them. It's like four guys who get together. It's kind of like the Fantastic Four. You know, they all have powers, whatever. Courtney Cox, it's like one of her first things. Um, but Kevin Peter Hall's in it as a guy who can get really, really small, which is funny because he's so, so tall. And it's an okay show. It's it's better in its setup than in its, you know, payoff. But um, it lasts, I think, 13 right. episodes. But it was one of those, like, he- special effect heavy TV shows. And NBC was like, we can't afford this anymore, so we have to cancel it. Damn, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, and they can't even sell it off to like another studio or anything. Oh, back then they just didn't have that many choices. There's only four networks, and no one ever took it. It was really rare for a network to take someone else's show. True. Well, I mean, well, these days, no, CW definitely picked up Supergirl. Yeah, which is a great move. Now there's more options. You and can then... take it to Netflix. You can take it to Hulu. Um, and it also depends on who Amazon owns it Prime. Originally. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as it goes for um, Harry and the Hendersons, I'm not even sure if that's still around in Universal Studios. It's been like almost 20 years since oh, that last sure. Most there. people have forgotten about this movie. At the time, it was kind of a, a big thing. You know, all the kids were talking about it, but I'm, I'm almost sure, it, you know, it's just kind of faded away. Oh, yeah. I definitely remember it from the uh, – I have definitely remember it basically because of reruns from the TV series and because it would come on uh, – it would come on HBO Family uh, during the summer, as would uh, One Crazy Summer. Yeah. <laughs> There's some – there's some movies that you just really lock in on a certain period of your life, and it's always like during your summer. You're like Back to the Beach is definitely a summer movie. That's another summer 1987 movie. Can you believe that? How many movies came out in 1987 that were awesome? <laughs> With Frankie Avalon, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got Peter Herman. Oh, that's the right. Bird, 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 the bird is the word. That is it. Oh, my God. I love that movie. <laughs> nice? You want it to call you nice? Oh, nice hairstyle. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. But still, uh, again, that's like one of the things to look forward to during the summer. It was like, oh, the reruns of like such so many wonderful movies. Harry and the Hendersons like definitely being one of them. I, I mean, honestly, it, it just goes to show Bigfoot was a lot nicer and smarter than most people, you know, made him out to be. And plus, he was a victim of hit and run. Yeah. Thankfully, he wasn't smart enough to know that he could sue your ass. <laughs> 
I um uh, years Fuck. ago I, I live up in Sasquatch country where people are just obsessed with it. They, that's where they've seen Oh, I've seen I've seen Bigfoot. No you didn't. Shut up. No you didn't. <laughs> uh I have this weird theory that Bigfoot is actually like uh, a circus freak who you know how some people are just insanely hairy. They they've shown that. Uh, excessively hairy. Yeah. Maybe it's a guy who just couldn't function in society, didn't want to join a circus, or maybe left the circus. And if you got hair everywhere and it's hot outside, you're not going to wear any clothes. And just say you happen to be walking out in the woods, uh, you know, buck, buck naked, um, and someone just happens to be walking by. I mean, it looks like he's just strolling along. He's like, hey, look, a camera. Uh oh. <laughs> someone just took my picture. Gotta go. Now there's going to be some major bullshit when it can all be scientifically explained easily, just like Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the oh, hunter man. in this movie is David Chouchette, who is known for playing Poirot. I don't know how to say his name right. Hercule Poirot, the Agatha Christie detective. He's, he's on BBC a lot. Uh, also, the bad Piero? guy. What's that? I was going to say Piero, maybe? I can't say Poirot. Poirot. I don't know. It's French. Uh, he's the bad guy in Executive Decision with Kurt Russell. I swear he's the bad guy in something else. I've seen like another action movie at this time, and it's bugging. I'm going to look this up because David Chouchette. I also this hmm. William Deere, the director. Um, I knew him from doing this motorcycle movie where the guy went back in time and uh, into the Old West. It's a really terrible movie, but it was produced by um, uh, Mike Nesmith of The Monkees. <laughs> time Rider, The Adventure of Lyle Swan. Is that yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a bad guy in Iron Eagle, of course. Duh. Iron Eagle. The movie I've seen 10,000 times. I don't remember that. That's insane. Iron Eagle. Yeah. Iron oh, but, Eagle is I think Time Rider. What's that? I think Time Rider's on uh, Netflix. I might have seen it. Nice. Um, one last thing I'll say about There's this the... is Bruce Broughton does the music for this movie, and now most people probably know him from doing the music for uh, Silverado. That's like his big like breakout uh, score. But he also did the score for Monster Squad, and you hear a lot of the same notes and little like bits from Monster Squad in Harry and the Hendersons. It's, it's actually quite surprising. Oh wow, yeah, kind of like uh, you kind of hear the same thing when it comes to John Williams or uh, oh gosh, who was another composer? Well, there's Basil Palladoro. You Williams hear or... a lot of his stuff because he his big breakthrough oh, was yeah. playing the Barbarian, but you hear like a lot of that stuff like in RoboCop and Starship Troopers. Oh yeah, definitely. And then there's also um, Elliot Goldenthal. Yeah, oh, Batman. When he took over on Batman, a lot of that stuff. He Tim Burton has the same thing, too. I guess in your mind, there are only so many places you can go with your music. You know, It's all going to sound a little similar. Oh, oh, true. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, when it came to Batman and Batman Returns. They all had to sound similar. But at the same time, the music score, the rest of everything else was entirely different. It, may, it, it definitely set itself apart from the previous film. You know, there's very few poser, very few composers can do that, except for Bill Conti for Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to repeat that. People going, "Oh, hold on a second, that sounds exactly the same." Ba, 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 oh, no, I can't do that again. <laughs> but he did a fantastic job with Masters of the Universe. Yeah, yeah, that's a damn good score. I didn't realize that he did that until he just told me. That's a highly yeah. underrated movie. That movie still looks good. Can Pictures did one massively shitty movie in the summer of '87. That's Superman Four. But I think they did one that's fairly underrated and i think and master of the universe is pretty good i know it's a shame again no i i didn't see why the movie bombed terribly i don't i it i think it definitely still holds up and again focusing on like both he-man and um skeletor like giving it kind of like a 50 50 really i thought made the movie even better yeah because you know very few movies give like real insight to the villains well, and, and the way gary goddard amazing. he's amazing as skeletor yeah Oh my God! Even I think there was a recent interview. Like if 
Frank Langella were to uh, reprise Skeletor, he definitely would do it if he was asked. <laughs> I don't know if he can do it anymore, but I guess we can do last post with, with special effects. Jackie Chan is still kicking ass. I just watched Dragon Blade with him and John Cusack and Adrian Brody, and he's got to be like 62 or 63, and he's just still nailing it. Wow. Yeah. Well, as far okay, but as far as it goes for um, Harry and the Hendersons, yeah, it definitely felt like a made-for-TV kind of score, yeah. especially like in the beginning. That's how I felt. And it's surprising. I didn't remember that half of the movie is John Lithgow looking for Harry. Like, you know, he's on the loose in the neighborhoods. I, for some reason, I thought he was with him the whole time. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I guess he was pretty curious, you know, not knowing of society, just being out in the woods and wanting to go explore, you know, breaking and entering and scaring everybody in sight. I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, shit, dude, let's take a picture with him. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't seem too violent. I'd just like be there, be calm, let him know I'm not there to hurt him. Well, like, there it's is okay. that you scene where, have a where the guy Let's on the have bike, a beer. you know, the guy on the bike, he lies about how vicious he is. He's like, you're just more afraid of him than he is of you. And he's like, oh, you're right. I'm and, right. <laughs> like, you're damn right I'm right. Don't <laughs> argue with me, asshole. <laughs> uh, Batteries Not Included is one that I also like watched a ton. I'm pretty sure my grandfather also taped that one for me. This one, though, I saw in the theaters. Uh, our newspaper that my father worked for, every January 1st, they would host like a free screening of something. They would rent out a movie theater, and any employee could bring their family. Uh, previous movies we had seen, oh, yeah. Kid 2, we went and saw Uncle Buck. Um, this is one of them that was, I think, January 1st of 1988 we went and saw. Um, this is one that I'm stunned that still holds up. Those special effects look good. They were not cheap. And this movie cost $25 million, which in 87, that's a lot of money. I think that's more than pretty much any other movie that came out that summer except um, Ishtar. Ishtar. Ishtar with, uh, you don't know what Ishtar is? Sounds awfully familiar. Ishtar was notorious for maybe 20 years for being the biggest flop in history. It had Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty, and it's about two of the worst musicians you've ever heard of who are best friends who decide uh, to accept a job from the government to go over to the Middle East and go on tour as their shitty, <laughs> shitty band and collect spy information, whatever, for the government. And then they rent this whole thing where it turns out the government agents are actually crooked and they're teaming up with this big, uh, like, Saddam Hussein kind of guy. Uh, the movie's not as bad as they say it is, It's but it's long, and I don't know why it's so long. Uh, it's okay, but I think it cost, like, $47 million and made, like, 12 and it was notorious for being one of the worst pieces of shit ever. But seriously, it's got a bad rap. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't heard of it. I don't think I could... I could probably... I probably don't think... I don't think I could probably uh, stomach it. Yeah, I watched it out of Although, curiosity. I just wanted to see. I mean, the only things I really loved Warren Beatty for were... Um, Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of them. But the other one was uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's good in um, Heaven oh, Kuwait. Heaven Kuwait's good. I haven't, I haven't... We're way off topic here. Okay, back on, back on the track. Yeah. Uh, so this one is, I'm almost certain, was an Amazing Stories... Uh, tale because Mick Garris uh, wrote this and he was a staff writer for Amazing Stories and then it got expanded to a full script I, and I'm looking at these names I'm shocked at how good these are Brad Bird Brad Bird was one of the writers on this that's also he was part of the Amazing Stories teams he did the cartoon um, Family Dog oh wow and Kathleen Kennedy was a producer and Frank Marshall and they've worked with like Spielberg on everything yeah well this and is their, uh, entertainment, so you definitely they were his uh, assistants or whatever those were his go-to people yeah and isn't Ka wait Kathleen Kennedy's she's in charge of Lucasfilm isn't she uh yes yes okay good oh good god no she's a producer that knows what people want in a movie My and God. uh if also, only they could 
this was also written by Brett Maddock and S.S. Wilson, who wrote Tremors, which is one of the finest horror monster movies I've ever seen. I definitely like the first one. I will say that much right now. I don't remember seeing any uh, uh, any of the other ones. I've seen all of them many, many times. I've even seen the TV show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Dang, man. Dude, that was one hell of a franchise then. It was. There's five of them so far. Part six comes out this Halloween. Oh, wow. Yeah. Shit. Five kind of kind of was like, okay. It wasn't great. I'd never watch it again, but the first four are fantastic. Uh, music by uh, James Horner. Know. James Horner, who uh, had pretty much gotten off doing uh, Terminator and just became a huge phenomenon. Which one did he do? Oh, I thought Brad Fidel was the one who did Terminator. Oh, shit. I think you're right. I think I'm an idiot. Oh, no, you're not an idiot. You're uh, not an idiot. I am an just, idiot. Just kind of. I'm only part of <laughs> James, I do know James Horner did um, Willow. Oh, yeah, that's another movie that came out in 88. Okay, so there is a decent movie that came out in 88. I'm just being negative. I'm sure there's lots of decent stuff. The Blob, The Blob. The blob oh, no. Some it's, idiot. Oh, yeah, no, it's like some great movies will like fly over your head, especially when so much Nate shit just comes out that one year. Yeah. Um, he did Lady in Red, Star Trek II. Uh, he also did Titanic. And Avatar, yeah, he's worked with James Cameron a couple times. That's why I thought it was. I thought he did Terminator, but you're right, Brad Fidel. How can I forget that fool? I know he did Battle Beyond the Stars. Battle Beyond the Stars is a score that uh, Roger Corman reused about 18 times. Uh, it's amazing. Wow. I hope he paid James Horner, but he probably didn't. He probably paid like three thousand dollars and just kept reusing the music over and over and over. Wow, That's damn. Cool. He had to have done Good something that was okay. So yeah, he did the Star Trek movies, which have fantastic scores. I uh, did Commando, ooh, uh, Cocoons, uh, Aliens. He did the score for Aliens, not Terminator. Aliens is the score Still? that I took to art class and scared the shit out of everybody while we're trying to draw. <laughs> good, good. Oh, you know what I noticed is that Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy uh, starring in this film, uh, they were also together in Cocoon. Yeah, so it's like uh, Steven Spielberg just picked the cast that he wanted. What about Wilford Brimley, huh? Oh, Steven Spielberg's like, I don't like his mustache. Screw him. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, that's... Oh, and they were married, too. He and Jessica Tandy had been married for, uh... Yeah, until she died in 94. There's a scene oh. later in this movie. Jessica Tandy's character is so fragile because she lost her son. Bobby, I think she says over and over. Um, but she thinks that one guy is Bobby, and there's a scene where uh, she slaps him because he's being so aggressive, and she kind of breaks down, and mm. slowly, I think she starts to realize, starts to remember that she lost her boy, but... There's a weird thing that we do to ourselves, and Bill Paxton said this in a recent interview, we only believe what we want to, and sometimes trauma and tragedy can damage the mind so that we block things out and tell ourselves that it never happened, and that's scary for that person. Oh, definitely, no, it's, almost, uh, it's, delu it's delusional, pretty much. Yeah. Very much a different, not much of a difference between that, um, but yeah, oh, um... Overall, this movie, I thought, was definitely, it was definitely a lot of fun to watch. I mean, who wouldn't want two little robot helpers, you know, around the house? God, I wish we had something like that. Yeah. And then later on throughout the movie, you find out that the little fix-it, the female one's pregnant. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, how? Wait a minute. Are they practically synthetic? Does that mean he has a robo, robocock? Exactly. Hey, that's a, I'm surprised. I'd be surprised if they didn't make a porn movie with that. They title. probably have. I'll probably look this up. And they'll have some sort of slogan like, half man, <laughs> half a fucking machine, all Robocop. Half. <laughs> exactly. Ma'am, I must get, I must, uh, I require that you get in this position. You must be, <laughs> Freeze you or must be brought in for prostitution. <laughs> 
and illegal escorting. <laughs> starting starting, starting <laughs> Peter Sweller. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I also must say that uh, the, the cast in this is actually fantastic, even though they're not really household names. Elizabeth Pena... <clears throat> Elizabeth Pena, who passed away sadly a few years ago, uh, way too young. Yeah, no, she was great. Uh, she's she's in Rush Hour, La Bamba. She was in a TV show called I Married Dora, which has the strangest ending I've ever seen on a sitcom, where they get to the end and she's supposed to come over to the uh, the star of the show. Uh, I can't even sound Hardcastle McCormick, but she comes over to him. She goes, "What? What is it? Are you, are you going to proclaim your love to me?" And he goes, "No, they canceled our show." And they both look at the camera and then credits. That's it. Oh wow! It's weird. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. That is. Uh, I don't I'm not know. gonna oh, say this God, name right. Uh, Dennis Boot Caceres. He's the the artist in there. I would say he's probably the main star. Um, the only other thing that I know that he did that was kind of like known was Dream Team. He is their doctor that takes them out uh, for a baseball game. Do you remember this movie with Michael Keaton? Dream Team. I believe so. Yeah, he gets. Uh, doesn't he recruit people from a um, a mental. Uh, a mental hospital? Yeah, he's basically their caretaker. So it's Peter Boyle, Chris, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Michael Keaton. Christopher Lloyd. Ah, oh, shit, I can't remember his name. He played Flounder in Animal House. But they all go out on this trip or whatever, and something happens to him, and they end up, like, loose in the city trying to find him. Um, that is, that's pretty much the only other thing that I think most people know him for. But he's a good, like, I guess you would call character. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I, again, oh, gosh, I can just barely remember, I, like I said, I barely remember, uh, I do barely remember um, Dream Team. I've only seen it like once. Uh, then last I'll say Frank McRae is just so lovable as a handyman, trying to put the floor together piece by piece, watching that meticulous work, and just kind of like, I don't know if he was special, but there didn't seem to be like everything was all there for him. Yeah. Huh. I'm trying to remember. Wasn't he also a football player? Oh, wait. Frank McRae. Wait a minute. Oh, wait. From Last Action Hero, right? He was right, like the chief the and he was always yelling yeah. at uh Yeah, he's also the captain in 48 Hours. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, he was. Yeah, no, honestly, in this movie, uh, he was definitely, I saw him as a sweetheart, for sure. It's definitely kind of, it's good to see him from being this, like, this hard-ass guy, and then coming in to, like, you know, just be the nicest, like, handyman you could ever meet. Although, I think in today's cinema, people would have seen that as, like, uh, would have referred to him as a pickaninny, sadly. What's a pickaninny? Oh, gosh, hold on. I forgot the, I forgot the definition. Hold on, let me get it. It's okay, I'll look it up. I've never heard that referred to. Um... Uh, so the director of this, Matthew Robbins, sadly would only do one other movie, which I've never seen, uh, Bingo. But before that, he made two excellent movies, Dragon Slayer for Disney and Paramount, which is absolutely fantastic. I can't believe it was a huge flop. And The Legend of Billie Jean, another big flop, but actually fantastic movie with Helen Slater. Uh, and William oh, Deere, God, the director. I know. What's that? I know. I mean, it, if anything, it was, like a, it was like a huge cult. It was a huge classic, too. And it was, you know, pr- it was definitely a feminist film, too. Yeah. It took forever to get the DVD. Finally, they did. But I was gonna tell you, I had the VHS hold on near and dear. I was like, I'm not gonna <laughs> this thing. This not, until it comes out of DVD, this isn't leaving my sight. <laughs> yeah, I'll, have to, I'll definitely have to give it. I'll have to. I'll definitely have to um, get that on DVD when it comes out. You're all muffled, buddy. I am. Oh, damn it, my bad. Uh, okay, how about meow? Meow is good. Uh, Matthew Deere, the director, okay. or not Matthew Deere. I'm oh, sorry, William Deere, the director of Harry and the Hendersons, also did. <laughs> Um, if looks could kill with Richard Grieco, Grieco, I can't talk. Richard Grieco, the Richard uh, Grieco, kind of a James Bond spy film. It's fun, and he also did Angels in the Outfield. Oh my god! Oh, 
I remember if looks could kill. I definitely remember that. It was uh, Michael. He was he and uh, the secret agent had the same name, so they got switched places. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember <laughs> the gum that if you put both sides of the gum together, it would become a bomb, and he stuck it to the bottom of that guy's shoe. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> that was so funny. Or the girl with the scor the girl with the scorpion. <laughs> I don't remember that. Like she was trying to use the scorpions on him, and then it got on her. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, That's uh, a good that movie. That no one talks about that movie. Yeah, we'd have to talk about that movie eventually. We should. Like, <laughs> we should do a spy movie episode. Just pick random spy movies that aren't like James Bond, you know, really well known. Right. I mean, we already did Spies Like Us, didn't we? Yeah. Well, did we? No. Well, we did when we did the Chevy Chase episode. We kind of discussed it. Um, so I guess it's kind of covered. Okay. Well, we'll ha we'll think of something. I'm sure. All right. So we've hit the end of that discussion. So now let's fit in our uh, our summer movie preview. And uh, obviously, it's gonna oh my god, I'm so excited. Days. Guardians of the Galaxy. In, in like a couple days, part two, volume two, I should say, not part two. Um, volume two, yeah, no, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Uh, dude, you know what I was told about? Um, basically, uh, I'm, I was kind of told uh, that, uh, not exactly a spoiler, but there's going to be four post-credit scenes. That's a lot. Uh, I know. That seems excessive. Yeah. Plus, from what I'm told, uh, as far as it goes for... Uh, like, Sylvester Stallone's character, I guess him and his friends are, like, the original lineup of the Guardians of the Galaxy from the comic. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, See, when I read Guardians of the Galaxy, it was set in the far future, and it was Captain Astro, who had Captain America's shield, and a bunch of other people. So when they revealed the Guardians of the Galaxy the way they are in this movie, I was like, who the hell are these people? And then later you realize, I guess, there's been a few iterations of this. It's kind of the same way with Defenders. Defenders is confusing me because none of these people were ever on the Defender. They were part of Marvel Knights or Heroes for Hire. Oh, wow. Uh, Defenders, Defenders in the comic was Hulk, Submariner, and Silver Surfer with Doctor Strange. And then slowly they added some more people right. like Beast Angel and Iceman and Valkyrie and Gargoyle and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm confused right. to what uh, what Guardians of the Galaxy they're talking about. But and we got Kurt Russell too. So technically we have a Tango and Cash reunion. Oh yeah, that's pretty awesome. I know. I, I was a little thrown off by uh, Sylvester Stallone being um, thrown in there because I did not see him in the trailers at all. And Kurt Russell, we definitely saw at the end of that. I guess he's playing Ego. He's uh, Star Lord's dad. And Stakar Ogord is who Sylvester Stallone plays. I don't even know who that is. Got nothing. I got nothing. I have no idea who that is. I hope that somehow. I know the Nova Corps has been introduced, but I would love if they introduced Nova, like the Nova we know. Um, who else? Who else? Yes, yeah, Supernova. I want to see that. Uh, there's, there should be some other intergalactic superheroes issues, but uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Mantis. They should. Well, who's Mantis? They introduced Mantis. I'm not sure either. Yeah, I don't really know much about the Guardians of the oh, Galaxy, but yeah. still. I've read some of the comics. Venom I... is now part of the Guardians of the Galaxy in the comic book. Can you believe that? Huh? Venom is now one of the Guardians. He's on their team. That's right, yes. Um, yeah, no, it's the Flash Thompson Venom. Oh, yeah, right, right. Uh, but yeah, I hope they inter do more intergalactic stuff. Like, uh, when are the Inhumans going to come into the cinematic universe? What about Warlock? What about um, uh, Captain Marvel? Oh, Adam Warlock? Yeah. You know, when are they going to start introducing Oh, gosh. Bring Silver Surfer back. Fox, hand it over. You're not doing anything good with it anyway. Hand him on over. Exactly. God, no, what the fuck is uh, what the fuck is Fox doing with Fantastic Four? Like, Jesus Christ. They might as well do another reboot because nobody's going to want to see a sequel to the uh No, and I actually movie. liked I, mean, I liked the reboot. I didn't hate it. Uh, it was more grounded. I, I, I thought it was – I again, yeah, I thought it was horribly grounded. But, I mean, Thing looked like Thing. And, again, I thought it was a great cast, but – Slow. Poor delivery. Yeah, it was like yeah, it that took too. an hour and a half for anything to happen. Okay, 
Uh, let, let's get get on our schedule. Where it's gonna be a four hour episode. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, King right, Arthur. Yes. I got King Arthur coming up after that, and I don't care. This is this is my prediction for last year was that Tarzan would be a movie that no one cared about. Uh, it turns out some people cared about it. it. Did okay in the theaters. It did really well in video. I tried to watch it. I made it up maybe forty minutes into it. And I go fuck this. I'm out. Yeah. I actually thought it was actually pretty well done. I liked the. I thought they did a great job with uh, Tarzan. I see. It was fun and exciting. Arthur. King Arthur looks okay, but I'm just not excited about it. Yeah, no. I mean, it's a Guy Ritchie film, and it looks pretty awesome. You got um, Charlie Hunnam from uh, Sons of Anarchy and Pacific Rim, which realized, is pretty awesome. I didn't which is great. The Guy Ritchie. You know how much I fucking. He makes these cool movies that aren't cool. Only made. Uh, I mean, Snatch is okay. Uh, to uh, the first Sherlock Holmes is okay. Second Sherlock Holmes, I couldn't I couldn't make heads or tails of what it meant. And I tried to watch Man from Uncle, and I thought it was so boring. Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know about this man. This King Arthur, Charlie Hunnam is good. Oh yeah, there was, he also did Rock and Roller. Boring. Oh wow. I know some people love Rock uh, and Roll. I can't get through it. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That was good. Okay. Um. Yeah. Uh. Well, Fate of the Furious already came out. That was one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Would, the, first, uh, I mean, the first kickoff to summer is always going to be that first Marvel movie. That's the way it's just done now. The, whatever comes out that first week of May and it's a Marvel movie, it's summer. Right. And then um, we also got this one uh, movie called Lowriders coming out. It's more of like um takes place in a certain part of L.A. You know, there's this young graffiti artist, um, you know, going around and, of course, getting involved with, like, his dad's business as well. Or his dad's trying to draw him into it, you know, like working on custom cars and all that, you know, wanting to pick his own life, do his own thing, his own artistic expression. I think it definitely, to me, it looks great. I definitely want to see it. Yeah, it's niche marketing, but you can make a lot of money going for a niche that's not being filled. Right now, we have too many special effects movies going on, and sometimes the more personal movies are what's going to connect. Oh, for sure. One I'm really excited about, since you mentioned special effects, is um, Alien Covenant. Ah! Run for your life! No, run! No, I love, I love the Alien movie. Even though Prometheus still has me scratching my head, um, that's a good thing for me personally. <laughs> yeah, but this one gets it closer. I think it's gonna be more pop than Prometheus. I think it's gonna get back on, uh, on the uh, entertainment track instead of so much like deep exploration. Prometheus is more like t- uh, the what is it, the 2001. You know, it's more pensive and thought provoking. Whereas Alien Covenant looks like it's gonna be more kick-ass. Lots of terror, lots of screaming, yeah. lots of sh- uh, shooting and punching. Oh, yeah, definitely. Kind of bring back that uh, suspense. And it's still being directed by Ridley Scott. Um, there was this little short that was released that I saw of um, uh, what was happening with Elizabeth Shaw and uh, David from Prometheus. You know, she repaired him. They go back to their uh, home planet. But we're not even sure. To be perfectly honest, we're not, we're not even sure it is their home planet. I mean, it's still everything still seems very functional. And who knows? Uh, it kind of cuts off when, like, day, be- right before David and uh, Elizabeth land. So I'm like, maybe uh, this planet that they're on in Covenant is what David did to the planet. Like, he experimented with them, and pretty much everything went all tits up. However, I again, not knowing much about this movie, I'm still excited to see it. I mean, yeah, I'd like to see more about the engineers, because that's the thing that really gets me um, – keeps me interested – you know, like, are they still around? Is their civilization going still? Uh, is their civilization thriving? Um, maybe, uh, was that group of uh, engineers that they ran into in Prometheus just like a cult? Was that one engineer they ran into an actual android? Yeah. Who knows? 
It's... Again, a lot of questions. It was thought-provoking, which I love. I, I, I love watching it again and again. Plus, I love the score. That trailer is awesome. That is one of the best trailers I've seen this summer, and it really nails down. Like, hey, look, you might have been confused and weirded out or bored by the last one. You're not going to be on this one. You're going to be terrified. Danny McBride. It's so <laughs> weird they got Danny McBride in it, but you know the guy's a good actor. If he can play off uh, serious, you know, it, it'll work. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I have faith in Danny McBride, too. He's also going to bring a little... Uh... I'm sure he's a huge Alien fan too. I'm sure he's going to bring like a, a little bit of comedy, but like when it, stuff when the when the grit gets going, he's going to pull through. Yeah, big time. And uh, then the next movie on the list uh, for me, uh, Pirates: Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yeah, uh, Beatwatch comes out before that, but I'm not sure about this one. Oh, uh, trailer looks okay, but I feel like Dwayne Johnson chose poorly. Maybe it's a really good script; they just can't figure out how to sell it. Uh, but yeah. I feel like someone pitched and just goes, Zach Efron, Dwayne Johnson, no shirts for the whole movie. Big boobs on the sides of them. Greenlit. Good. Go. Yeah. And um, yeah. there's so many sequels that they're waiting for him to come back, and he chose to do that instead. Uh, it's... Yeah. Uh, if anything, it, well, Rock, I mean, uh, Dwayne Johnson does have a huge following, and he's very entertaining. He's an all-around great guy, and a lot of people follow him. And, um, yeah, no, as far as Baywatch goes – Again, they turn it into a comedy, kind of like with what they did with uh, 22 Jump Street. So let's just hope it works. Um, I, I can't yeah. remember who the director is. I think it's John Hamburg. I, can't, I have to look it up. But uh, I'm not feeling it. Maybe it'll surprise me. Eh, yeah, I know. I'll, I'll, I'll probably wait. Maybe if I get invited out and it's on discount movie night, yeah. I'll probably go watch it. It looks funny, though. Um, also, uh, Pirates, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Javier Bardem, uh, in that opening cutscene, the first trailer that they displayed... It definitely see, and then the second trailer it shows that there's actual depth to the villain than there was in the previous movie. I mean, last movie, uh, what uh, on Stranger Tides, Blackbeard, what the fuck? I like, you have like the most notorious pirate in pirate history, and you uh, you cast a great actor, Ian McShane, and then you just do nothing with him. He's a fucking dud. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also the most expensive movie ever made, and I cannot believe $375 million is how much that last one cost. And I'm just like, what? Yeah, no, what the fuck? It's, yeah, I think yes, Johnny Depp walked away with $70 million, and I'm just like, why? Oh, Seth Gordon is the director of Baywatch. He's the one who did um, Horrible Bosses. I'm back on board. Back on board. This guy's good. He molds the stuff. Okay, yeah, for sure. Uh, who knows? And uh, yeah, I'm sh- and Rock the... Dwayne Johnson, I, I can't help but call him the I know, it's rock. hard. I always feel like I'm insulting him because he's come so far. Exactly, I know. He's like a huge, uh, he's he's like so huge in entertainment. My God, everything he gets involved in, like it's it's good. He knows entertainment. He knows how to entertain people. He'll know what fans want, uh, which is kind of giving me hope for his uh, solo Black Adam film. One hopes, one hopes that that ever happens. We've been talking about it for so long, I feel like it's never going to happen. Um, yeah, I pirates, mean, especially they, if, since they haven't cast Shazam. They need yet. to make sure that Pirates feels fresh. It's a franchise that is now 14 years old, and I think people are overwhelmed by all the CGI-ness of it. I think they need to pull back a little bit and make it a little more grounded, a little more physical effects. Um, also, yeah. you know, Johnny Depp is kind of burned his bridges with so many flops and, and poor choices. Uh, Mordecai. This is probably his last <laughs> gasp as like a big paycheck, you know, and he probably got a lot less for this one. But hey, if it hits, True. it hits. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes franchises save themselves. Who knew that Fast and Furious would be on number eight when, you know, part three was like a dud? And uh, people were like, ah, oh, maybe we'll go direct a video. Who knows if there'll ever be a part four? And then, ah, uh, things happen. 
bring back the original cast. Yeah, no, the people will go crazy for it. Well, I mean, they're bringing sh- back honestly, Atlanta Bloom, I guess, for this next one, which is good. Yes, they are. Oh, definitely. And as far as Orlando Bloom goes, uh, I haven't really seen him in anything lately. Uh, to unle- un- unle- uh, uh, at least after The Hobbit. I mean, he came back to play Legolas for The Hobbit. Yeah. Well, he's kind of, I think he's picking and choosing carefully. He, I know he does mostly, like, historical stuff. It seems to be kind of his thing. Um, right. But he's been doing little tiny movies here and there. But I would not be surprised if five years from now you saw him on a TV show or something like that. And sometimes that can save your career. Who knows? Look at Christian Slater. Who knew, Who thought that his career would be saved by Mr. Robot? Oh, God. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, definitely. Christian Slater. Everybody loves Christian Slater. Oh, I love Christian Slater. Except so maybe good. Cuffs. Huh? Cuffs is okay. Except maybe Some Cuffs. Some people swear by it. I'm like, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, no, I thought it was pretty funny. But some people just don't like it. What's next? Uh, however, I will say, uh, oh, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. That one actually looks really good. I haven't heard re- anything really bad about it, other than you know when it was in first production, the first director walked off, which was kind of a bummer. But then bringing in Patty Jenkins was like a huge move. Yeah, it's actually the movie she wanted to do, like for the longest time. What was it? Lexi Alexander, I think, was originally attached, and she walked. I, I think so. Yeah. Again, it's a shame that they don't have a director for Flash because well, actually, never come Flash together. Is... <laughs> At this point, I think they're gonna. I, I I'm gonna tell you right now. I think they're gonna wash their hands of the Flash because they already have the TV show. People know him from that. They want to see him on that. Sure, he's part of Justice League, and they're gonna be weirded out. It's played by a totally different actor. And I think with all the directors and writers just shuffling around, I think Warner Brothers is gonna walk, especially now that they've added like Batgirl and Nightwing to the slate. Oh god, I mean, I'm ex- oh, no, I'm glad they added in Batgirl, and they got Joss Whedon to do it. Yeah. So that's a huge plus. As long as Warner Brothers just doesn't make the same mistake Marvel did. Ugh. Wait, what? God. What'd they do? I mean, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, they were kind of like you know putting a lot of restrictions on uh, Joss Whedon and burning him out. Oh yeah. Especially with Avengers two. Uh, basically, uh, Avengers two. You know, um, Joss Whedon wanted to do more work with like some of the supporting characters, like you know Black Widow, which they did, and Hawkeye. You know, going to Hawkeye's farmhouse and meeting his family—that was going to be cut out completely, unless Marvel want, uh, Marvel had him compromise uh, with something else. I don't know. I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie, so it's kind of a bummer. But yeah, Marvel can burn off some people. They got you know, John Favreau left, and and then they burned uh, what's um what's his face? He's doing Baby Driver. Edgar Wright. On my list here. What's uh Simon? Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Thank you. Edgar Wright, you know, he had to leave Ant-Man because they're so controlling and restrictive. But, I mean, it's their property. It's their money. I, they might as well. I mean, it just seems like you would trust the director a little bit more. Exactly. No, they should. And I think Warner Brothers, who knows? Warner Brothers might get, as far as, if they're going to really push a Flash movie, hopefully they still do. I'd love to see a Flash. I would love to see um, that origin go along. But I really hope that they would get Kevin Smith to direct it. Oh, I don't know. He doesn't seem too eager to do a bunch of special effects but i haven't seen his new one um yoga hosers but I, i've heard that he did a decent job with special effects even though the budget was very low yeah no he did but also um he's also directed uh lots of episodes of supergirl and flash yeah yeah you're right you're right he's got this so he's definitely yeah no uh, when it comes to character no he got it down he's like directed the best episode like uh the runaway dinosaur i think it was the the episode uh i think it was the second to last episode and it was like the best uh, in the second season, and it's like been the best episode so far. So I think if anything, Warner Brothers should go after him like as a last resort. Not well, not to be insulting or anything, but if they really want a director, they should just go to him and just let him do what he needs to do. Yeah. 
he knows what he knows how to work this character out. Uh, and then next? let me see, let me check. Hold on. Uh, and it looks like we're gonna oh, the mummy with Tom Cruise. Yeah, the mummy. Um, yeah, I don't know, buddy. That trailer's okay. It's got a good. It's got good everybody around it. I love Tom Cruise. The guy oh, knows yeah. his stuff. Every once in a while, he hits a dud, and I feel like this might be one of his duds. Honestly, though, if you think about it, Tom Cruise has never had a dud in the box office. Uh, All his movies have made money. Mm. Which one? Well, there's Lions for Lambs or whatever it's called, uh, the war movie, but it wasn't really a war movie with Robert Redford and Mel Street. That was a flop. Legend was a huge flop, but that's pretty early on, so I'm not sure if that counts. Oh, yeah. Uh, but like, but ever since then, like, you yeah. know, uh, his, like late 80s, early 90s and on. Yeah. He, he always but hits. He's he's a huge international actor. So say he only makes like eighty million here, you know it's going to make two hundred million worldwide. I mean, look at Edge of Tomorrow. Look at Jack Reacher. These movies make tons of money overseas, even though they're not massive here. Oblivion. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I think some people are going to be nostalgic for Brendan Fraser. Which uh, what ever happened to Brendan Fraser? What happened to him? <laughs> he disappeared. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I don't know either. But it's it's a shame. Who knows why they can't? He's not being cast anymore. Yeah, this is the launch. It would be of great new... to see him. This is the Universal Monster like world, the universe. They're trying to launch. Yes. It. So they got they got Russell Crowe as Doctor Jekyll, and he's going to be in the Mummy. Uh, oh, that's going to be awesome. They tried to do Dracula with Dracula Untold with um, the guy from Fast Six, Fast Five, Fast Six. Um, we got Invisible yeah, Man Dracula with Untold Johnny was... Depp. So uh, we'll see if the Mummy does not hit. Uh, Universal is going to probably scrap the whole thing. Sadly, yes. Well, hopefully. Um... Well, knowing uh, Tom Cruise's movies, uh, especially like I said, like all from like late '80s to the na- to now, uh-huh. all have been huge hits. He's never been part of a flop since then. But again, I, it's something I'm kind of looking forward to. It'd be great to see. So yeah, no, and knowing that uh, Russell Crowe's uh, slated to play Doctor Jekyll, oh god, that's awesome. I love Russell Crowe. Yeah, I mean, he's great in Nice Guys, great in Gladiators. Um, hell, even as uh, Jor-El, I loved him as that. Man with the Iron Fist. He's awesome in that oh movie. My, <laughs> even that? Fuck yes. Oh my god, with the Reza from uh, Wu-Tang Clan? With the Reza. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a grindhouse <laughs> movie, but it's such so entertaining. Hey, uh, oh, yeah. you think we should continue this list and do it quickly, or should we split this up into another episode where we finish it off next? Uh, I think we could kind of finish this up a little quickly, maybe like wrap it up, a little speed round. Okay, uh, what do we got next? Okay, Cars 3. No, fuck you. Don't even, don't even bring that up in this house. Don't you dare bring that up okay, in this good. house. It's a movie made solely to sell toys. It's a shitty franchise. Fuck that franchise. <laughs> and, well, and it's also a fun ride at Disneyland, I'm not going to lie. Or California Adventure. I was just on it last week. <laughs> okay, uh, All Eyes on Me, the Tupac movie. Nah, I don't care. I'm, I'm dying to see that. I'm going to fucking see the fuck out of that shit. You like Tupac? <laughs> I love Tupac, of course. I had an album of Tupac when I was going through my gangster rap phase around 94, 95. I don't remember much yeah. of it. I, I stuck more to Cypress Hill. I will listen to Cypress Hill okay. any day, any time. Oh, fuck so yeah. Not so much Tupac. Oh, yeah. That's still, I'm sure it'll grow on you. The guy, the guy was brilliant. Oh, man. Anyway, um, Transformers, last night. Eh. No, no more. I want another G.I. Joe movie, you stupid bastard. You keep giving me Transformers. I don't want any more Transformers. Stop it. Now you're adding Mark Wahlberg to it. I like Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. But I don't like him in the Transformer. We found a Transformer. Holy shit, we Transformers. Trying to transform us, guys. Damn. Come on, Ted. Say Holy shit, we're going to meet Impostimus Prime. <laughs> the movies are always so yeah. long and they're so boring. Get rid of Michael Bay. Yeah. Make these movies an hour and a half. 
get rid of the humans, put it on Cybertron, and shut the hell up. Now go spend the money on another G.I. Joe movie, bastards. Exactly. And less fucking human interaction. And less of that stupid frat boy bullshit humor. Uh, this trailer, though, I will say this. They're trying to push that whole, you know, you know, pro-feminist, like, you know, um, message of, you know, run like a girl. Yeah, I run like a girl. You should, too. You know, this whole, like, little girl badass. If anything, that's probably just going to be, like, a little side note or whatever. They're not even going to focus fully on that. I don't uh, think Michael Bay uh, has ever written or – no, The Island had a decent female character. But he always has trouble with female characters. I don't think he gives a shit about women. He's a douchebag, plain <laughs> and simple. All right. Next movie. Baby Driver. All right, Despicable Me. Oh. Despicable Me 3. Uh, I never, I love those minions, but I never could get into those movies. Okay. Uh, okay. Eh, I'm whatever on it. Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. I'm excited. Hey, did we skip Baby oh my Driver? God, I, I think we might have. I'm sorry. Edgar Wright, buddy. Hey, it's a good trailer. Okay, I'm in. I don't know about that title. That title yeah. is fucking crazy. I don't know what Mark No, but I saw the trailer and I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's good that Edgar Wright's still like, still like working, man. I love his. I, I, it's a shame. I really wanted to see his version of Ant Man. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I know. Hell, it's even Justin said it was like going to be the best Marvel movie. Was. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, okay, so Spider Man Homecoming. After seeing that latest trailer of him, like you know, confl- you know, talking to uh, Tony Stark a little bit more, giving back the suit and then going back to his old retro suit, old uh, makeshift suit. Yeah. And then you know, showing a little bit more of Vulture. And Shocker as well. Uh, again, this Wait, gets me hopes what? for Spider-Man. I must have missed the trailer. Shocker? Yeah. Shocker? I love Shocker. His insulated yeah, carpet bag suit. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, in this uh, trailer, though, I, he, he's wearing less of a suit. But still, it's Shocker, for sure. Okay. Cool. Um, next movie, War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, yes. First day, I'm there. I love apes. You know me. I, I named my damn emails after apes. I love the apes. I, 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 I yes. will even tolerate the Mark Wahlberg one every once in a blue moon because I love the apes so damn much. <laughs> yeah. Dude, Dawn had me hooked. Dude, I liked the first one. The first one was great. And then Dawn had me hooked. Oh, Dawn's infinitely better the... than Rise. Rise is good, but the special effects are kind of wonky. And I always feel like James Franco might be out of place in it. The second one, holy shit. Dawn's awesome. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Again, again, more focus on Caesar and the apes. You see their point of view and how they communicate in sign language. Oh, it's wonderful. Brilliant. And, uh, okay, uh, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Luke Besson does some really weird sci-fi stuff from time to time, and it always is awesome. His action movies kind of bore me sometimes. I think he only did one good one, The Professional, but Fifth Element and Lucy, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm yes, interested. Yes, those, those are fucking great. Yeah, that, and he also did Taken by, with Liam Neeson, right? Yeah, he produced the first it and one. co-wrote it. He didn't direct it. Still. It felt like a Luke Besson film. Yeah. Pierre Morel directed it. Anyway. Still, it was a great movie. Anyway, okay, uh, emoji movie. Eh. Don't and you then, dare. don't you dare. Oh what? Uh, oh, emoji no, oh. movie. The fact that they greenlit this instead of the new uh, Popeye movie from Jendi Tartofsky, I'm so pissed. I mean, what we're talking the about fuck? a movie. Yeah, Jendi Tartofsky did a brilliant short uh, test uh, film for Sony, so they would greenlit uh, Popeye, and they said kids don't know who Popeye is. They know who the emojis are. Let's make an emoji movie. One of the main characters is a pile of shit. <laughs> I think that might be Rob Riggle or uh, somebody else. I don't give a I fuck can't remember. who it is. It's a stupid piece of shit talking. It's a main character. It's dumb. I don't. Yeah, I uh, knowing that. Yeah, no. Fuck this movie. Hey, Sony. <laughs> did you know that Sony lost seven hundred and nineteen million dollars last year? And it's because of bullshit, stupid ideas like this and Angry Birds the movie and other dumbass decisions. They're spending so much money on bullshit. What the hell is wrong with them? 
I don't know. They're fucking dumb. This is why. And they, uh, what they've done with Amazing Spider-Man Two, also pisses me off. Oh uh, yeah. <gasps> see, I don't know. I don't think Andrew Homecoming. Garfield. I don't think Homecoming's gonna make a ton of money. I think it's gonna do okay. And then they're gonna look at how much they spent on it, and they're gonna look at how much they spent promoting it, and they'll be like, oh shit. Yeah, they they probably have to give it back to Marvel. I mean, they, I know they want to announce a Venom movie still, but yeah, is that gonna coincide with the Marvel uh, Spider-Man Homecoming? Plus, if anything, yeah, no, it's more of a Marvel Studios movie. Yeah, someone said that Life with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds was actually supposed to be Venom, like the birth of Venom. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I have to see it. I have to see oh, it. Oh, God. It sounds like a, it sounds like a young teen um, fucking little conspiracy bullshit. <laughs> Just like that whole – oh, God, don't even get me started. <laughs> anyway, all right, uh, next movie, Blade Runner 2049. Is that this summer? I didn't see that on the list. I thought that was Christmas. Oh, I, I, oh no, wait, no. No, 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 yeah, no, that's later on. Shit, never mind. Because the other movies I have are like, you know, Christmas and... Uh, oh, no. Okay, I got our, two our more. Christmas. I got two more for the summer, and then we can do the the fall, winter preview later. Uh, Dark Tower. Okay. Finally. Finally, after years and years and years of pre-production, this thing gets going. It's the Stephen massive King? Stephen King franchise. We'll see if it's a hit. I don't know. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Then you'll, oh, wait, no. That comes out in the... Wait, no. September still counts as uh, summer, right? Well, it says August. Uh, Dark Tower supposed to come in August, and then my last movie is also in August, but like the last week of August. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, last the last movie one? is Hitman's Bodyguard with Ryan Reynolds and Samuel Jackson. I get uh. the feeling that <laughs> Ryan, Ryan Reynolds outside of Deadpool is going to be a struggle, even though he had a couple hits before that. Sometimes it's hard for an actor to connect to audiences outside of their main known character. Oh, um. I don't know. I mean, uh, Ryan Reynolds, again, did kind of establish himself as a very funny guy in, uh, you know, Waiting, uh, Van Wilder, The Proposal, with Sandra Bullock, and a lot of, and, um, oh gosh, what was it on? Just Friends as well. Yeah, oh my gosh, so, Just Friends is so great. Yeah. So I'm hoping, if anything, he shouldn't have to struggle when it comes to comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if Samuel motherfucking Jackson from the movie. <laughs> but yeah, the rest of the movies on my list, I'm like, damn, they feel like they should be in summer, but... Again, these are the ones I'm looking most forward to. Yeah. Um, so let's let's hope that some of these really hit home. Like, you know, great hit at the box office and critically. And, and you and I love them. Because I feel like some of these studios, they're on their last legs. Like before a bunch of people oh, yeah. fire, they shut down or something happens. They sell the company. Lionsgate's in trouble. Sony's yeah. in trouble. Um, a lot of these little indie guys are starting up. So many small companies are popping up out of nowhere. Because there's no movie, there's no money left in uh, direct-to-video or, you know, uh, lower-level releasing. So it seems like everybody's right. kind of like either doing streaming exclusives or they're trying to find something that doesn't cost a lot of money, a very particular audience, and release it on, say, like a thousand screens. It's not, you know, it's a lot easier now to get it on a thousand yeah. screens where it used to cost you a ton of money to make a print of a film, ship it off, ship it back. Where now, I think they... Sh I don't even know how it's done. Do they ship off hard drives? What do they do? How do they send movies to people? Download them? Digitally, maybe, yeah. Oh, gosh. I will say that, uh, as far as it goes, like, this year's already had some awesome films. We've had Get Out, Logan, Kong, Skull Island, Beauty... Okay, yeah. As far as uh, X-Men goes, X-Men's been a successful franchise for Fox. Mm -hmm. uh, again, especially with the... Uh, well, let's see. The only bad ones I've seen, the ones that I think suck are... Um, X-Men 3, Last Stand, and uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Other than that, they've been really awesome. Uh, again, first class, definitely the best one so far. And then Days of Future's Past comes out. Fuck. That's amazing. <laughs> and should... then we see Apocalypse. There is a... Personally, 
Apocalypse is a, is a struggle. I don't know what to say about that. Um, it's not bad, but it's I, not great. No. Again, uh, there is even that inside joke when they walk out of seeing Return of the Jedi. It's like, yeah, we can all agree that the third one's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. But no as far as that goes, I mean, I didn't really see much of a problem with it. Uh, I, I thought I thought there were some deleted scenes that should have stayed in there, like the mall scene where they had a safety dance playing in the background. It was this huge <laughs> montage of Nightcrawl and all them going through the mall. Like, you know, there's a lot of 80s nostalgia going to record store, you know, uh, Cyclops making a joke at Jean saying she looks like Boy George. And then, um, uh, the, uh, again, at the arcade, seeing Jubilee use her powers. I uh, heard talking to Kurt a little bit more, finding out about his history where he never even – you know, knew anything outside of where he was. He would always be in, like, in soup lines. He was very poor. He was in, in a part of a traveling circus. Uh, again, uh, it just kind of, it does, it, it does bug me a bit that they cut out so many important scenes that were only just a few more seconds long. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll <sighs> see. I, I hope to look back on this summer and be like, yeah, that was a damn good summer. Yeah, no, me especially. I'm just excited for Wonder Woman. I'm just excited for the DC movies. The most. Uh, I despise the last two, so I don't know. Um, we'll see if they can get it finally right with Wonder Woman. Like you said, the word on it's fairly decent, so I, I, I don't know if it's going to go well or it's just no one's really talking about because it it's a girl superhero movie. And it's a badass woman superhero movie. <laughs> She's like the number one female superhero. She'll kick a motherfucker. She'll kick mostly all these guys' asses. <laughs> Superman, that's a little tough, though. Yeah. I think he... But anyway... As far as it goes for um, as far as it goes for DC, yeah, no, they didn't have any anybody uh, holding the reins. They tried to give it to Snack Zack Snyder, but he didn't know jack shit about story, really. I mean, the Ultimate Edition of Batman versus Superman, uh, again, I thought it was definitely more character than it was plot, and it, that's the movie you need. That's the version you need to watch. I mean, it had more depth. You actually see why Batman and Superman are actually fighting each other, and what kind of hero the world needs. That's the kind of that's you know the big question raised. Really, if you think about it. But also, again, Zack Snyder. It's like he's got cool visuals down. That's like his priority. It's like cool visuals, like stuff right out of the comic book. And then when it comes to story, he's like, oh, fuck. What was I thinking? <laughs> you weren't at all. <laughs> um, so I, mean, gr- we, I have another show that I've been trying to figure out what to do with it because people are not helping me. You and Andrew are pretty much the only ones that are like ready to go right now. You know what you're talking about. I have another show called Comics on Infinite Earths where we pick comic book topics and we discuss them. And it has been torture to get anybody to like get their shit together, be ready. You know, uh, I can't get these episodes out on a regular basis. But what I've been thinking about is if uh, you and I do discussions like this. We pick a comic book movie or a TV show or a topic and kind of like we discuss that, we discuss new trailers, and we discuss like whatever we're reading at the time. Doesn't mean that you have to read what I'm reading and vice versa. Um, kind of just like a general comic book conversation. Uh, maybe once a month, like at the end of the month, like a wrap up kind of deal. Um, but discussions like this, what we're having right now about X Men and stuff like that, that seems like something that might be appropriate for that show. So if you're listening at home right now to this episode and, and you're interested in something like that, let us know. I, I think that's the direction I want to go with that 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 podcast, and less stammering, hopefully. Oh, for sure. Almost oh, definitely, especially about like uh, certain com- uh, comic book stories and graphic novels that I'm much more familiar with. I mean, I've just started reading some of the stuff from Valiant, like from Ninjok, Archer and Armstrong, Turok. Turok, yeah. I was familiar with because I played them in the game. And then Dr. Mirage, Yeah, Armory. to be fair, I sent you like a thousand comics, so. Yeah, Shadow Man, yeah. <laughs> and Exo Manowar, I was familiar because of a of an Iron Man video game I had yeah, for the PlayStation I 1. It was quite graphic. 
Hey everybody, uh, sorry we're we're having trouble wrapping up here. Um, but seriously, let us know what you think about this. Uh, next year, of course, we'll be back. Actually, no, you know, in the fall, we'll we'll be back with uh, with a fall winter preview of movies. And uh, just keep listening to Video Night, and we'll keep doing anniversary episodes and picking certain topics and discussing movies under that topic. And uh, I guess that's about it. Yeah, I know which ones I definitely want to talk about in the fall. <laughs> There's three, three main ones. All right. Well, we'll find about that. Uh, find out about those later. And I can't talk today for anything, and I don't know why. I think it's because I've been drinking a lot. Maybe. Have you had a, Have you had any rum? Da, oh, da, da. gosh. You, you know what I wanted to mention? What? Uh, back when we were talking about Johnny Depp and the Pirates franchise, um, you know what was funny? Uh, I was uh, I was actually at Disneyland at the time. Um, I just got off Haunted Mansion. I had to separate my uh, uh, I had to separate from the group for a bit. You know, get some air. And then uh, I was thinking about going on Pirates one more time, and I'm like, ah, crap, I might not have enough time. Because we were trying to leave at, a, you know, like around, like, a, what, a quarter to eight. And then all of a sudden we hear all these messages and everything and see all these videos, and Johnny Depp was dressed as Jack Sparrow on the fucking Pirates ride, like, you know, surprising all the people on the ride. I'm like, motherfucker! And you missed it. I, I fucking just missed Johnny Depp, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I like the guy, though. I mean, I personally, I really like him. He's a great actor. He's just very diverse. He's yeah. And he does brilliant. stuff that entertains him. You can't always do things that will excite everybody. You kind of got to do what you want to do. But I do get the feeling that he took a few roles just for the money. You're like, eh, don't. Uh, Rum Diary was great. Uh, the Taurus, not so much. Or got fucking Mordecai. Mordecai's awful. Great trailer, though. Great trailer. Awful movie. <laughs> oh, God. How, who else was in that movie? What? Jude Law? Um... Gwyneth? You and oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you know this... Yeah. Oh, Ewan, come on. Ewan, damn it. Oh, well, I mean, Ian McGregor's still doing a great job. I mean, come on. Trainspotting 2, Fargo, and also... Um, Son of a Gun. Oh, yeah, he, that's right. He was... Son of a Gun is fantastic. Oh, yeah. He plays a criminal in that. I have, Oh, yeah, no, I did see a little trailer of that. I follow him on Instagram, yeah. Also, what I would really like to hope for, what I really did like him in, which was a huge surprise, was Lumiere in the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Huh. He was the little candle, the candlestick. I was like, what the fuck? I didn't know he was yeah, in that. Yeah, I didn't... Neither did I until the very end when they all turned back into a human. I'm like, oh, shit, that was human? I wonder why he sounded so fucking familiar. Uh, uh. All right, everybody, anyway, check again. us out on Facebook under Video Night. And uh, this is Michael saying good night. And Jacob, send us out. All right, I will. But let's just hope this is a great uh, uh, summer for movies. All right. Namaste and good luck, my, uh, my friends. All right. Ready to blast off, Michael. Michael.